Days format, and I thank you for joining us here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. I welcome those who are tuned in on the NSN app from anywhere around the world and enjoying all its uh, amazing features. Uh, today is another uh, nine days format day, a little bit of a uh, a different day as well. It's a day where we're going to really be concentrating on getting the word out regarding the uh, the rally taking place in New York City today and call a kavod to those uh, other cities around the United States that are also rallying today. The Stop Iran Now uh, rally takes place in uh, Times Square, 42nd Street, 7th Avenue, New York City. And that happens uh, today between uh, 5.30 and 7.30 p.m. I hope there's a great turnout. I hope that uh, we're able to say that we took to the streets and uh, demonstrated on behalf of a, a nuclear-free Iran and a safer world and a better world for the United States and all other freedom-loving countries. Uh, if you're able to make it today, make sure to uh, be at uh, Times Square 42nd and 7th uh, at about 5.30 p.m. Many distinguished organizations and many prominent speakers are included in today's uh, rally, today's demonstration. So um, come and be informed and be inspired and become aware of what's happening in this world of ours and uh, do your part. We'll talk more about that coming up uh, later on here at JM and the AM. Rabbi Beryl Wine has been at the centerpiece of our nine days format here at JM and the AM. His brilliant lectures continue to uh, educate us and in many ways uh, grip us with uh, tremendous uh, information and a wonderful presentation. He has a series entitled Jewish Values. The first lecture in that series is called Pleasantness. We get an opportunity to hear it right now. Rabbi Beryl Wine, Nine Days Format, Wednesday at JM in the AM. This series concerns itself with, uh, what shall I say, the fifth section of the Shulchan Aruch. In back of the Shulchan Aruch uh, is God. And that's the ultimate uh, goal. And uh, the values of Judaism are uh, primary in influencing uh, the other four sections of the Shulchan Aruch. And it's primary in assessing what a Jew should be. Now, we have very high standards. And even if we don't reach those standards, at least we have an idea of what we are striving for. 
And the Torah does not compromise its values. Uh, the Torah is not, the Torah is willing to forgive people, but it's not willing to forgive values. By that I mean we're not allowed to change the value simply because I can't do it, or I didn't do it, or because it's hard. So for that we have a Yom Kippur. For that we have tshuva. Uh, for that we have all sorts of mechanisms that even if the person is not perfect, uh, we can somehow raise him to some level of perfection. But the Torah never compromises its values. The Torah never says, well, since you can't do it, it's all right if you don't do it. And the Torah does not mark on a curve. The Torah does not say, you know, everybody does it, so we'll give you an A. And by the Torah, 60 is a 60, and an 80 is an 80, and 100 is a 100. And so therefore, I felt that uh, as a series, uh, we should uh, discuss and understand what these values are, their great importance, and how we see them reflected in the Torah itself. And many times we don't always see them reflected in Jews. Well, I've always said that one should never confuse Jews with Judaism. It's two different things. And we're talking here about Judaism, about Yahadus, about what the Torah represents. And we certainly should never confuse religion with rabbis. And... Uh, because of that, therefore, uh, we have this uh, system of values. Tonight's value that I'm going to discuss, which is the opening one in this series, has to do with pleasantness, with being nice. A trait that uh, sometimes here in Israel people say, well, he's a friar, which is the ultimate insult in Israel. The ultimate insult is that you let the other guy cut in in front of you in the lane. <laughs> the second ultimate insult <laughs> So uh, the value of pleasantness is based upon a posseg in Tehillim, that, and rather in Mishle, uh, that we all know, Jochea Darchei Noam, V'chol Nesivoseo Shalom. Jochea Darchei Noam, the paths of the Torah are ways of pleasantness. And uh, so even though that's a verse that we all know, and we recite it when the Torah is put back in the ark, uh, but uh, it's not meant to be merely... A nice phrase. It is meant to apply to halacha and to how Jews behave. And I'm going to give you uh, eight, nine, ten examples of it tonight. And this is not certainly not a full discussion of the matter, but we'll see how this value of pleasantness applies uh, in the Torah and in the Torah's outlook on how we should behave. The Sephorno, Abeno Vadio Misforno, uh, 15th century uh, Italian doctor and rabbi, 
There was a period of time that a lot of the rabbis were doctors, or a lot of the doctors were rabbis. I don't know which, how it worked. And uh, so he uh, wrote a uh, very, very famous commentary to Chumash. Sworno is the name of his town, but he's known as the Sworno. Uh, he immortalized this uh, rather small Italian town uh, by his parish. So he discusses the halachas of Kashrus, which uh, we read in Parsha Shmini, in Chumash Vayikra. So it says, asher tochelu. This is, uh, These are the creatures that you should eat, and these are the creatures that you should not eat. So he says... What difference does it make what we eat? Why should the Lord be interested, so to speak, in our diet? So he discards immediately as a doctor the idea of health, which is many times advanced as a reason for kashras. Uh, whether or not it's because he felt that... Uh, this century's medicine is the next century's quackery. Uh, medicine constantly changes. Or whether he felt that uh, perhaps the kosher foods are not necessarily uh, healthy foods. Having just survived Pesach, all of us can testify to that. Right? You know, it's... Uh, Good old Eastern European Jewish food was cholesterol heaven. Kosher, but not necessarily healthy. And therefore, he doesn't, he doesn't accept health as being the reason. But he says as follows. He says that because there is such a thing as drochea darche noam, there's a pleasantness in eating. So not every food should be eaten because the food itself is, so to speak, a violation of the pleasantness of life. And therefore he says, All of the crawling things, uh, the shellfish, etc. He says these things, it's not nice. It doesn't appeal to our... Aesthetics, the fact that in the world it made to certain groups of people doesn't change the fact that in God's system of aesthetics, this is not nice to eat. Therefore, he says, that says, V'yisem G'doshim, you shall be holy. What is the definition of holy? The definition of holy is to be a pleasant person, to be able to stay away from things. That are, he says, in the Torah, it says, "Vinit meisembom," you become unholy, you become defiled by eating these creatures. So the Gemara says, "Altikre you become gross, you become boorish, you become unmannered, you become unpleasant by eating these things. In Yiddish you would say, Verstopped. You're stopped up. And therefore he says that the halachas of what to eat and what not to eat stem from this idea of pleasantness. Stem from the ideas of Drocheo Darche Noam. 
And he says the same thing is true in the halachas of Tara Samishpocha, of family purity, and the halachas of Zov and Nida and all and Yoledes, is all a question of pleasantness. Because in the ancient world it was a question of superstition. It was a question of, uh, of uh, somehow uh, disease. He says none of that applies. What applies here is this idea of pleasantness. And therefore, everything in life has to be done in a pleasant fashion. And therefore, he says, that's why in the Torah, we, the Torah is worried about not only what we eat, but how we eat. The Torah, for instance, is against fast foods. The Torah is against eating standing. Uh, the Torah has all sorts of, so what do they care when I'm standing? Uh, well, the Gemara says that one of, in today's world, we have different tests uh, for making matches between uh, men and women. Uh, important items like what color tablecloth is used and uh, <laughs> other uh, major issues. But one of the things the Gemara asks is, does the person eat in the street? person that eats in the street, it's unpleasant. It's not manners. And Jochea Darche Noam requires that we eat with manners as well. The, uh, the uh, din of Mai Machronim is because of the fact they didn't have forks in the ancient world. Forks are an invention of the Middle Ages. And so people ate with their hands, with their fingers, so you had to wash off your fingers before uh, uh, before uh, being able to uh, say Birchas uh, Samoza. And other things simply have to do with a pleasant way of life, a pleasant demeanor, an attitude of pleasantness in the world. And therefore he takes the laws of Kashras, which we would say has nothing to do with this, and he inserts it under this value, that what we eat and how we eat, the way we eat, and the Gemara says, you know, you're supposed to limit conversation while you're eating because ain't masichim besuda. The Gemara has all sorts of, who asked them? The Gemara is not Emily Post, it's not an etiquette book. And the answer is because it all comes under this rubric, it all comes under this title of pleasantness. And there's a pleasant way to eat. And the Torah describes it for us. And uh, this uh, is further enhanced by the fact that the Gemara teaches us, and it became one of the principles of the Bali Musar, and Bishoel Salanter wrote, a person is created by his actions, by what he does. We think of it in the opposite. You know, the person is this and this type of person, therefore he does this and this and this. And we saw Salanter turn that on its head. He said, if you will do these and these actions, then you'll become this and this type of person. And therefore, if you will be pleasant, then you, if you do pleasant things, 
you will somehow become a pleasant person, even if you start out being an unpleasant person. Because a person is fashioned according to the behavior, according to what he does. So we'll see that Sephurno continues and says a remarkable insight. Shemi asher midosov mikulkolos You have a person that he has bad character, bad behavior, he's an unpleasant person, and he's a completely observant Jew. It's what the Ramban calls a novel Torah. Because without the values, without the fifth section of the Shulchan Aruch, the first four are not going to do it. So he says, Balkorcho Yagia Lemaskonos Madoyos. He said, people will then come because their behavior, their attitude, their manners are bad. So after a while, they will substitute their behavior and their understanding of right and wrong for the absolute understanding that the Lord and the Torah gave us. And they'll come out lonachonos. They will do things that are wrong. The Gemara says the Jews never believed in Avodazara. They never believed in paganism. Jews never believed that this idol can do anything for me. So then why do they worship idols during the entire time of the first temple? For hundreds of years. Because idolatry allowed them to be sexually immoral. And that's what they wanted. But you couldn't get up and say, I want to be sexually immoral. So you got up after a while because you were sexually immoral. You got up and I said, well, I'm pagan. And in paganism, it's allowed. And if we'll substitute other things today, uh, you'll hear it very clearly, right? I'm allowed. Because I'm doing it. So when I create a philosophy to justify my behavior. And therefore, he says, you see how important the Rabboni Shalom felt, Kaviyochel, in this idea of Jocheo Darche Noam, in the first chapter in Bracious, God says, now the word naase implies that he was talking to someone. It also implies that he was asking permission from someone. It also implies that someone helped him create human beings. Naase, let us together make. Now all of that is nonsense because God uh, uh, has no partners. So then why does it say Nase? So Rashi already comments that the Torah is teaching us here ways of pleasantness. That even the greatest of people, even the chief justice, even the president, even the prime minister, should not take unilateral action without consulting with others. And that in order to put that lesson across, that if you want to have a pleasant society, you cannot act unilaterally. You cannot do on important issues what I want to do. But you have to speak to others. 
and see what they say as well. So the Torah risked the fact that there will come people and say, well, look in the Bible. In the Bible it says, let us make man. So it must be that there is something else besides God. And in Christology, that is used, right, as part of the Trinity, the us. So the Sephorno says, so then why did God do that? Why did God risk to put the word nasa uh, when evidently it is a word that can cause great problems? So he says, Shehechli takorish borchu lehistakein betos pilosophis. God was willing to take the risk that philosophically people will make a mistake. And they'll say, stay Rishuyos, that there's more than one God in heaven. Bilvad lelamed osonu, because he wanted to teach us as Torah Hanova, the necessity for modesty, the necessity for humility the necessity to consult with others, the necessity not to say, I'm the only one that knows what's right. I'm the only one that can do it. It's me. And God wanted that lesson, that value, that value of the fact that others have to somehow also be consulted, that's so important that God risked the word Naseh because the gain from understanding that Rabboni Shalom himself, Kaviocho, is willing to consult, that lesson is a greater gain than the risk of the loss that people will think that there's more than one God in the world. And therefore he says, Ki besofo shaldovar, the bottom line is, Ha'ashkofos holchos achar hamidos. Behavior governs. And if you have good behavior, so then lochein im yilmedu midos tovos, memele yagiu lidei muskolos nechonos. Then you will have correct attitudes and correct hashkofos as well, because your behavior will shape how you look at the world and how you look at others. I remember when I was in the yeshiva in Chicago uh, a few days ago. Uh, it really feels like a few days ago, you know, when you get to my age, so then all of a sudden you start remembering. You start forgetting also, but you start remembering. So in the yeshiva, I went to the yeshiva in a time when none of us had any money. No, we had an allowance, uh, a dollar a week maybe. And you had to give zdoka from it, and you paid your car fare from it, and you bought the candy bar from it, and that was it. Because my parents had no more, and there were boys and my friends that didn't even have the dollar. So every day in the yeshiva in Davning, there were they, they would pass around the pushka, the zdoka box. And the zdoka box, you'd put in a penny, two pennies, because you only had a dollar. I mean, how much could you afford And the Zucker box always made noise. 
So, uh, you know, you're never as uh, clever and astute as when you're 15 years old. Because from then on, it's downhill all the way. But when you're 15, you understand it all. You got, you, you got it all very clear. So I remember I went over to the Mashgiach, the Rabbi Wernig, and I said, Rabbi, you know, they pass around the pushke, and the, everybody puts in a penny. I mean, the end of the week, you got $3 from the whole yeshiva, and it makes noise, and it's in the middle of Chazor Sashats, and it's not nice. And uh... So he says to me, he said, well, he said, you know why we pass around the pushka? Because we're training you to give tzedakah every day. To put your hand in your pocket and every day. He said, today you can only give a penny. He said, there'll come a day you'll be able to give a dollar. There'll be a day that you'll be able to give a hundred dollars. But if your hand is not trained, if it's atrophied, if chas you know, the person is paralyzed. He can't. He never put his hand in his pocket. So even when he has it, even when he wants to, he can't do it. I remember I once went with the Ponovizhirov to see a Jew who was notorious for being a miser. And I said, Rebbe, we're wasting our time. And he said, no, 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 no. We're going to do him a favor. He said, we're going to rice rice in the guilt for them. We're going to rip the money out of him. for the. We're doing him the biggest favor. We're going to rip it out of him. And he did. I mean, it was a masterpiece. You know, and it was a sizable check. The man couldn't sign the check. It took him ten minutes. He picked up the pen. He put it down. He picked it up. He started to sign. He stopped. He just couldn't do it. His hand didn't write. And that's after he committed and he said he was going to do it and he knew he was going to do it. But because he never gave, so then you can't do it. So this idea, this Sephorno says... Is If you live a life of pleasantness, so then you change yourself. And your attitudes change. Your behavior governs your attitude. But if first you want to become a pleasant person, and then you're going to do pleasant things, unlikely that it will ever happen. If you want to think through the entire... Uh, uh, philosophy of charity and, philosophy and uh, philanthropic behavior, it's not likely that you're going to be a charitable person. A charitable person has to train oneself. I always remember the words of the Mashgiach because of the fact that the truth of the matter is that you have to train people. We are uh, just like all of the other in the animal kingdom as far as that is concerned, that we can be trained that really was the idea of the Musser movement, of Rabbi Soa Salanter and the Musser movement, is that he wanted people to have the values of Torah, and the only way to have the values of Torah was to train them to do things. And uh, the Musser movement was a great success in 19th and early 20th century Lithuania. It was destroyed in the Holocaust. It has never been rebuilt. It is one of the great victims of the Holocaust, of which there are many. Not only are people victims and families are victims, and the Jewish people are victims because of what was destroyed. 
Let's proceed to another idea in which we see Jochea Darche Noam. It says in the Torah, Kol almono v'ger lo sa'anun. You shall not persecute, afflict, take advantage of the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. So Rashi says, Hu adin It's not restricted to the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. You can't do it to anybody. Why did the Torah mention specifically the widow, the orphan, and the stranger? Because they're pretty much defenseless. They're more vulnerable to people taking advantage of them. They don't have someone to defend them. And therefore the Torah puts special emphasis on the fact that you shall not oppress the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. That's Rashi's pshat. The Rambam has a different view completely. The Rambam in the Sefer HaMitzvos, he counts the 613 mitzvahs. So uh, the Rambam generally says, I will only count the mitzvah, that's a category. Underneath that category, there can be many sub-things, things that come under that, that are mitzvahs, but that's not the 613. So as the Rambam has Avodah Zorah, so then he counts, you know, all the types of Avodah Zorah, but they are not a separate mitzvah in the 613. They're all under the general category of Avodah Zorah. So the Rambam here, according if he would adopt Rashi's opinion... He would put down the fact that you're not allowed to take advantage and persecute another person, period. And the other person includes everybody, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. The Rambam has individual mitzvahs. You're not allowed to persecute someone or take advantage of someone. That's a regular person, Odom Ragil. And then he says you're not allowed to take advantage of an almona. And then he says, another mitzvah, you're not allowed to take advantage of a yatom, of an orphan. And then he says, another mitzvah, you're not allowed to take advantage of the ger. So the Rambam's got four mitzvahs where Rashi had one. So then why did the Rambam have four? So the Rambam saw in the attitude and the behavior towards the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, he saw a different attitude than in the attitude towards an Odom Ragil. So therefore he says as follows, Bishum Noam, because the Torah is the Torah of pleasantness. And therefore, the halacha is, not only shall you not take advantage, that's not sufficient, to these people you have to speak nicely, softly, gently. Somebody else you can holler at. Somebody else you can, you can, you can speak firmly. But the Nalmona, Yosem, and Agir, the Rambam says you have to speak Dvorim, Rakim, Biyoser, Vanachas. And you have to treat them in the best way possible. And your attitude towards them has to be the best attitude possible. The Rambam keeps on saying, more than what anyone else. 
And you should try and do more and more in this matter. Because that's Drochel Darchi Noam. So now we see that Drochel Darchi Noam is a sliding scale. It depends who, and we'll see in a minute, it depends on the person himself or herself who's doing the action. Who is he? And then it depends on the recipient, right? Who you're talking to. And if that person, the Rambam says, is an almona, a ger, or a yoso, uh, so then you're held to a different standard. That's a different mitzvah. And that mitzvah is impelled because of the fact that we have raised the bar of drochel darchenoam. Our definition of being pleasant has been raised. And unless we, we are aware of that, so then we miss the value that the mitzvah attempted to put within us. There's an interesting point that the Ramban makes in his introduction to the Chumash. It's parish to the Chumash, to the, the Torah. The Ramban, as you all know, is a great Mekubal. The Ramban is probably the first uh, person that put out a perush to the Torah, Alpi Kabbalah. He calls it Alpi Derech Sod, uh, the secret, or sometimes he calls Alpi Derech Oemes, the true way. But he says Kabbalah. In the int- so I mean, he says uh, Pshat. He says, says uh, his commentary uh, in the uh, in the rational way. But then he always adds uh, Kabbalistic ideas. The Ramban says in the introduction, and it's a really it's strange why then he put it. He said, "Forget about the Kabbalah that I write in the uh, in the uh, in my parish. Don't don't bother to look at it, unless you're a great Mekubal, unless you yourself are immersed in Kabbalah." And he doesn't mean the Kabbalah Center in Los Angeles. <laughs> Unless you are immersed in Kabbalah, he says, don't read it. It's not for you. Because the Torah is Drochea Darche Noam. It's the way of pleasantness. And Kabbalah is not the way of pleasantness. Because it raises us to a world that we don't understand and we don't see. And if you learn the Torah, or if you're involved in Kabbalah, and you don't understand it, and you're not worthy of it, so then the Torah is unpleasant to you. Because then the Torah says fanciful things that you have no idea what they're talking about. And therefore he says, Al Yaharsu El Hashem Liros. Don't you, so this first part of the introduction is hardly ever taught. But it's the basis of a lot of problems in the Jewish world. He says, Al Yaharsu Lalos El Hashem. He quotes the Posik that the Jewish people shouldn't run up the mountain of Sinai to come see God. Ki Hashem Elokeinu Eish God is an all consuming fire. Who El Kanos is the God of zealousness. Vuhu Yire Es Ritsuyov Mitoroso Niflos. 
and he shows to those who are able to see it wonders. However, but what is greater than you, farther than you, more than what you are, don't search there. What is too strong for you, don't bother to investigate it. In what is wiser than you, you'll never understand. And what is covered from you, don't bother to ask. You think about what you have permission to think about, meaning the nigla, the revealed Torah, and you have no business with the higher elements, with the Kabbalah, with the secret Torah, etc. Because then you destroy the drochea d'arche noam. And that's what the Gemara says, four great rabbis, entered the realm of metaphysics, uh, the realm of Kabbalah. So one was uh, Shimon ben Zoma. Shimon ben Zoma uh, lost his mind, became insane from the matter. One was Shimon ben Azai, who never married or had a family. One was Elisha ben Avuya, who became an apostate, became an apikoras. And Rabbi Akiva was the only one that got in and got out whole. So again, why? Because it's not Darche Noam, right? It's not uh, the example that the Bali Musa always gave is that if you, you know, if you go to someone's house, uh, it's not manners to go traipsing around the house and opening every closet. Unless you're the mother-in-law, but otherwise... <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't happen, right? It's none of your business. So the Bali Musar say that the, the Torah is our house. And when you come in, we're invited into the house. So you see the living room, the dining room, the kitchen maybe. And you know, that's open for you. But to go around, what are you doing opening the closet, right? You're not, you're, you're, it's not pleasant. It's not manners. It's not acceptable behavior. So he takes this idea and applies it to Kabbalah. And he says, Kabbalah is opening the closet. So if you're worthy, if you're Rabbi Akiva, if you're a great Mikubal, if you're the Ari, okay, Mele. But for ordinary people uh, who really are not grounded in Kabbalah, and who have no uh, experience in the matter, so then uh, it's just uh, ill-mannered. It's not drachea darche noah. It's not pleasant. And because it's not pleasant, then you're not allowed to do it. It's not nice. We live in a time when, you know, Kabbalah is uh, just wonderful, right? Everybody's a Kabbalist. From Madonna upwards. Everybody's into it. Everybody wants spiritual. But uh, the Torah is not made that way. 
The Torah is meat and potatoes. Everybody wants dessert. Right? You go to a restaurant, you order five desserts. Good. But that's also not Darche Noam. And therefore, that was always the reluctance uh, of, uh, of great sections of the Jewish people uh, to even discuss Kabbalah publicly or to have it out in the public domain because of the fact that it violates this principle of pleasantness, of Jochea Darche Noah. The Rambam says another idea of Jochea Darche Noam, all of which we see in this value cuts across all of Torah. The famous question is asked, the Ramban and the Rambam discuss it, why were the Egyptians punished? God said, Kiger lolahem, he told Avram Avinu that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will be slaves and they'll be tortured for 400 years, and then they'll be redeemed, they'll go out with it. So if God said it was going to happen, what do you want from the Egyptians? They just did what God said was going to happen. So the Ramban says uh, that the Egyptians were punished because uh, they enjoyed it and they overdid it. You can be a stranger and you can be a servant. You don't have to have... uh, a quota of bricks without straw, and you don't have to take children and mortar them into the walls. And Ramban says that they were punished for the excess. But he accepts the fact that the Egyptians somehow had an excuse that they could have said, we only did what God told us to do. The Rambam uh, doesn't tolerate that. The Rambam says, God didn't say they had to do it. God just, not a commandment. God is just telling Avram Avinu that such a thing will happen. It will happen, he said. But I'm not commanding anybody to do it. Because to command somebody to do it is not Jochea Darchinoam. Not pleasant. That's not me. I never command that such a thing should happen. And therefore he says... The Egyptians violated the Jochea Darchinoam. He says, why? First of all, Asher lo yodais Yosef. They were ungrateful. They had ingratitude for what Yosef did for them. And that is the root of being an unpleasant person, is someone that has no sense of gratitude, no sense of appreciation, no sense of what was done for him. So then that's an obvious, that, that itself is a violation of the principle. And therefore, the Rambam says that they were punished, the Egyptians were punished because they had no right to do it from the beginning. And that their behavior was a violation of Jochea Darche And therefore, the Makos that came against them, the plagues, were justified, and being drowned at the Red Sea was justified, simply because, in fact, that was the fruits of their own behavior, of how they themselves worked at it. The Rambam continues regarding Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is punished. What is he punished for? He hit the rocks. He hit the rock. So for that, you don't go there. It's Israel. 
Jewish agency was unwilling to pick him up. Why? Yitarak. So the Rambam has a theory. The Rambam's theory regarding Moshe is that's, that's the point that I made before, that since Moshe is the greatest of all human beings, so therefore his ways of pleasantness are held to the highest standard. Anger by Moshe is unacceptable. By Moshe, anger is not Rocheo Darche Noam. And since it says, Vayiktsov Moshe, Moshe was angry, and in his anger he smote the rock, so it's not because he smote the rock, it's because he was angry. So Moshe violates his own principle of Rocheo Darche Noam. Where do we see the Rocheo Darche Noam by Moshe? We see it, He's willing to sit all day and all night and judge the Jewish people by himself. His father-in-law comes along. All fathers-in-law have better ideas. His father-in-law comes along and says, Novel Tibol, you'll waste away. This is not the way to do it. We make an administration of justice. We'll put it all together for you. And Moshe accepts it. What did Moshe think in the beginning? Everything that Yisrael told him he knew in the beginning. So the Rambam says, in the beginning he thought that Rocheo Darche Noam compelled him to do it. A Jew comes and he has a problem. He has a Din Torah and Moshe is going to say, you know, go see Shmerel, I'm busy. Go to this court, go to the Pakid. It's not Rocheo Darche Noam, I came to see you. Everybody wants to have the Din Torah by Moshe, right? Nobody wants to have the Din Torah by Shmerel. So Moshe felt that Rocheo Darche Noam, being a pleasant person, he has to submit himself to that discipline, to that regimen. He has to judge every case. He has to answer every question. When I was uh, the head of the OU, uh, also a few days ago, so uh, I get calls from... Uh, uh, my mashgichim from those uh, that were the kasher supervisors. So in California, they were three hours behind. And then I had guys in Hawaii, and I had guys in Thailand. and they, So they'd call me two in the morning, three in the morning. he get on the phone, he would say, Rabbi Vine, he said, I'm calling you now, I don't want to bother you in the office. But, you know, you got to take it, right? Because if you're, uh, what I'm going to tell them, don't call me. So then next time, you know, they'll have a crisis and he won't call me. So Moshe is always at the service of the people. And therefore, Moshe has this supreme value of Jocher Darchenon. If you have this supreme value of Jocher Darchenon, then what are you getting angry for? Who said that anger is permissible? And that, the Rambam says, was the source of why he wouldn't come into Eretz Yisrael. Because of the anger, not because of the action. We have another example. How the Torah itself and its wording is careful about Rachel Darche Noam. You have to pay attention to the words of the Torah. <coughs> Yosef HaTzadik goes to look for his brothers. Can't find them. 
He meets a man in the street, in the field. And he says to them, to him, uh, did you see my brothers? You know, ten guys in black hats walking around. Did you see them? Do you have any doubt that the Shvotim wore the... So the man answers him, Cain, yeah, I know, that, I know what you're talking about. Shomati, I heard them say, We're going to Dosan. So the Gemara Darshans, the Medrash Darshans on the word, that from the word, a conspiracy, they already conspired to make a law to justify the fact that they were going to kidnap and sell Yosef. And that that idea is what the Torah is telling us when it says, because who cares what where they went, right? I mean, it's not germane to the story. The Mephorshim say, Rashi is the one that says it here on the Posik. Nichlei dosos. The Torah didn't say that. The Torah said simply what? We're going to dosa. We take the words and we read into it the fact that they made this conspiracy. Why didn't the Torah say it? Because if the Torah would have said it, the whole story would be much clearer. And you wouldn't ask, why did the Torah write where they went? Who cares where they went? So he says, Mishum Jocheo Darche Noem. The Cholzerak Beremes. We don't want to say with a full mouth. It's not nice that the Torah should write with a full mouth what the brothers were going to do. And therefore the Torah left it over only hidden in the words. So that if you want to, you can read the Parsha simply, quickly. They went to Dosan. Fine. But if you really want to understand it, it means more than that. It means they conspired to destroy him. But the Torah won't say it openly. Rashi says the same thing in the beginning of Chumash Dvarim. In the beginning of Chumash Dvarim, so it says, Elad Dvarim Asher Diber Moshe, Shalakim Moso, and then it lists all the places that the Jewish people went. Chatseros v'dizahov, etc. So Rashi says, Lefishein divrei tochochos. Moshe is going to tell them off now, right? Moshe is going to the last speech, so he's going to tell the members really what he thinks. So he's going to tell, he's going to give them tochocho. He's going to give them a hard time now. Umono kan kol hamakomos shihir shiu lifnei hamokom bohen. And therefore he names every place where the Jewish people sinned in the desert. But it doesn't say that. It's just, uh, just names places, right? So if you learn it simply, you know, you just pass it by. So he's just telling you, Ben Tofel, Chatseros, all of these are places, oases in the desert. Not more than that. So Rashi says, he's Kiron Baremes. They only alluded to it. Because he didn't want to insult the Jewish people. And therefore he only alluded to it. 
Those that get it, they'll get it. And those that don't get it, leave them alone. Because Jocheo Darchei Noam, the Torah is not going to say it with a full mouth. The Torah doesn't criticize in that fashion. And so that even in the words of the Torah, the Torah itself is bound by this value of the fact that it has to do it in a pleasant way. I knew a Jew in Chicago that was in the kolel in Eishishok when the Chafetz Chaim ran the kolel. So he told me once that uh, he missed uh, one or two Zdorim to learn. Whatever happened, he didn't show up. So the Chafetz Chaim called him in to, uh, you know, to call him on the carpet. So he said the Chafetz Chaim turned around. He didn't look at him. He turned around. He talked to the wall, literally to the wall. And he said, I don't know. You know, some people don't come to the Seder. I don't know. How can it be that some people shouldn't come to the Seder? Things shouldn't come to learn when they should come to learn. I, I don't know how such a thing happens. And he's, and he's got his back to him the whole time. He's not talking to him. And he says, uh, it must be that there was a good reason. Because it couldn't be that people shouldn't come to the Seder when they're supposed to come to the Seder. So there must have been a very good reason. So I'm sure that the person, uh, once the reason is settled, will come to the Seder whenever he has to come. That was the speech. Jam in the AM, Rabbi, a barrel wine will continue on the subject of pleasantness in the Jewish Values series coming up here at Jam in the AM. Uh, his uh, information about all the lectures uh, and all the great series, 1-800-499-WEIN or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWineWEIN.com. 71 degrees, 57% humidity, winds west at 5, sunshine today with a high of 87 Looks like good weather for the rally tonight here in New York, so please make sure to be there. Please, please, please. Clear tonight with a low of 67, and tomorrow sunshine with a high temperature of 86 degrees. Uh, Yerushalayim is at 91.1 with sunny weather. Um, up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Masora, they're enjoying 51 degrees, going up to 76 with mostly sunny skies. Here in the middle of our nine days format at JM in the AM. The details have been out there for days and weeks at this point. And we are hoping that everybody uses the opportunity today to take to the streets and express the sentiment, stop Iran now. That is the, uh, that's the goal. Uh, there are rallies actually around the country. The New York City one is a uh, 42nd Street and 7th Avenue, and that'll begin today at uh, 5.30 p.m. <clears throat> Excuse me. That'll begin at 5.30 p.m. Uh, many distinguished speakers, a lot of great... Um, a lot of great organizations sponsoring the event... In Florida, they're going to gather in Fort Lauderdale, Broward and 3rd at the Federal Courthouse starting at 5.30 p.m. today. In Phoenix at the uh, Ina Levine Jewish Community Campus in the Social Hall starting at 6.30 this evening in Phoenix. L.A. has a rally on the 26th, San Diego on the 26th, and Toronto is today at 12 noon on University Avenue opposite the United States Consulate. 
So there are rallies going on in many different places. We're asking everybody to make sure to be at the New York rally if you're in the New York, New Jersey area today at 530. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live in the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Galitz on the background. Our news from Israel is coming up. We'll talk more about the rally. We have a bunch of interesting guests coming up this morning on different topics. But I believe the Stop Iran Now rally is foremost in everyone's mind to make sure it's the most successful demonstration that it can be. 42nd Street, 7th Avenue, New York City, 5.30 p.m. today. Details all over the web. Details everywhere. Galait Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for Wednesday's next. Boker Tov from Jamnet. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, כנהוד גרף עם מה שקורה עכשיו. בסוכנות הידיעות רויטרס דווח כי האיחוד האירופי החליט להחריף את הצעדים הכלכליים נגד חברות ישראליות שפועלות בשטחים. על פי מסמך שהגיע לרויטרס, האיחוד האירופי מתכנן לפעול נגד בנקים ישראלים שפועלים עם חברות בהתנחלויות ומעניקים אשראי לאזרחים בשטחים. לטענת הדיפלומטים המעורבים, סימון מוצרים מההתנחלויות יהיה רק הצעד הראשון מצעדים רבים שיקשו על כלכלת ישראל, במטרה להפריד את יחס האיחוד האירופי לישראל ולהתנחלויות. זה היה דיווחה של כתבתנו נועם דהן. ראש ממשלת איטליה מתאו רנצי, המבקר בישראל, אמר לפני זמן קצר במליאת הכנסת. מי שמחרים את ישראל, מחרים את עתידו שלו. חשוב שהכנסת תדע שאיטליה תתייצב תמיד בחזית, באירופה ובקהילה הבינלאומית, למען שיתוף הפעולה, ולעולם לא תתמוך בחרם. דברי ראש הממשלה האיטלקי. נותן החסות הראשי של ביתר ירושלים, בית המסחר אייטריידר, החליט לבטל את הסכם החסות עם הקבוצה. כתבנו שמואל מוניץ. בעקבות התפרעות האוהדים במשחקה של ביתר מול שרלרואה בבלגיה בשבוע שעבר, החליט בית המסחר אייטריידר לבטל את הסכם החסות שלהם עם הקבוצה לעונה הבאה. מהחברה נמסר, לאחר שבחנו לעומק את האפשרויות העומדות בפנינו, נאלצנו לנקוט בצד חריג זה עקב האירועים האלימים אותם אנו רואים בחומרה רבה. הסכם החסות של החברה עם המועדון עמד על מיליון שקלים בשנה. נפתח השימוע הציבורי במשרד האנרגיה על מתווה הגז. יושב ראש דלק קידוחים, גדעון תדמור, אמר בשימוע כי הקשיים הרגולטוריים הם למעשה ניסיון של הממשלה להלאים את הקידוחים. ההשלכות של אותה רכבת ערים רגולטורית, למעשה הלאמה זוחלת של אותם נכסים שקיבלנו ושהשקענו בהם מיליארדי דולרים על מנת לפתח. יהיו השלכות כבדות משקל, ערערו באופן חסר תקדים את היציבות של משק הגז הטבעי ופגעו גם אנושות במונקים של מדינת ישראל. צעיר בן 19 חשוד בהטרדה וסחינה וסחיטה מינית של יותר מ-100 ילדים. יעל דן שוחחה עם רב פקד ירון בן צבי, ראש מפלג הונאה במשטרת מחוז תל אביב, שסיפר על הפרשה. הוא היה מאתר ילדים ברשתות חברתיות, בנישות מסוימות כמו שחקני כדורגל ודברים כאלו ואחרים. היה יוצר איתם קשר תוך שהוא מתחזה לבחורה, לנערה, לילדה. מהר מאוד היה מביא אותם לדיאלוג מבוסס תכנים מיניים. ולאחר מכן היה מוציא מהם את התמונות עירום שלהם וסמוך למעצר הוא כבר כאילו חיכה לפרוק את אשר על ליבו 
שיבושים בתדרי גל"צ וגלגל"צ בחיפה. בשל עבודות תחזוקה יחולו שיבושים בתדרים 102.3 FM ו-107 FM. עמכם הסליחה. תחזית מזג האוויר, היום נאה, מחר התחממות. ולסיום, סיבוב שלישי בקרב בין אבילן לפייסבוק. העמוד סטטוסים מצייצים הוסר היום שוב. כתבתנו שירה הדס נקר. פייסבוק הסירו בפעם השלישית עמוד בניהולו של אבילן, שהפעם נקרא מצייצים. העמוד שנפתח אתמול בשעות הערב צבר כמה אלפי לייקים לפני שהוסר. כזכור, העמוד המקורי סטטוסים מצייצים הוסר בשל פרסום תוכן ממומן. מפייסבוק נמסר, אנחנו לא מאפשרים... לאנשים ליצור מחדש עמוד שכבר הוסר על בסיס הפרת כללי הקהילה שלנו. אלה החדשות שעורכת טל יחזקאלי. J.M.A.M. We continue, uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine, on the subject of pleasantness. Nine days format Wednesday at J.M.A.M. I'm going to call it Rock Beremes. The Torah didn't say that. The Torah said simply what? Neilchu dosoino, we're going to doso. We take the words neilchu dosoino and we read into it the fact that they made this conspiracy. Why didn't the Torah say it? Because if the Torah would have said it, the whole story would be much clearer. And you wouldn't ask, why did the Torah write where they went? Who cares where they went? So he says, Mishum drocheo darche noem. We don't want to say with a full mouth. It's not nice that the Torah should write with a full mouth what the brothers were going to do. And therefore the Torah left it over only hidden in the words. So that if you want to, you can read the Parsha simply, quickly. They went to Dosan, fine. But if you really want to understand it, it means more than that. It means they conspired to destroy him. But the Torah won't say it openly. Rashi says the same thing in the beginning of Chumash Dvarim. In the beginning of Chumash Dvarim, so it says, Eila Dvarim asher diber Moshe, shalakim abonei Yisrael lifnei Moso. And then it lists all the places that the Jewish people went. Chatseros v'dizahov, etc. So Rashi says, Lefishein divrei tochochos. Moshe is going to tell them off now, right? Moshe is going to the last speech, so he's going to tell the members really what he thinks. So he's going to tell, he's going to give them tochocha. He's going to give them a hard time now. And therefore he names every place where the Jewish people sinned in the desert. Lefichoch sosa mesadvorim. But it doesn't say that. It's just, uh, just names places, right? So if you learn it simply, you know, you just pass it by. So he's just telling you, Ben Tofel, Dizohov, Chatseros, all of these different places, oases in the desert. Not more than that. So Rashi says, he's Kiron Baremes. They only alluded to it. Nekvodon Shel Yisrael. Because he didn't want to insult the Jewish people. And therefore he only alluded to it. Hamevin Yovin. Those that get it, they'll get it. And those that don't get it, leave them alone. Because Jocheo Darche Noam, the Torah is not going to say it with a full mouth. The Torah doesn't criticize in that fashion. 
And so that even in the words of the Torah, the Torah itself is bound by this value of the fact that it has to do it in a pleasant way. I knew a Jew in Chicago that was in the kolel in Eishishok when the Chafetz Chaim ran the kolel. So he told me once that uh, he missed uh, one or two Sdorim to learn. Whatever happened, he didn't show up. So the Chofetz Chaim called him in to, uh, you know, to call him on the carpet. So he said the Chofetz Chaim turned around. He didn't look at him. He turned around. He talked to the wall, literally to the wall. And he said, I don't know. You know, some people don't come to the Seder. I don't know. How can it be that some people shouldn't come to the Seder? Things shouldn't come to learn when they should come to learn. I, I don't know how such a thing happens. And he's, and he's got his back to him the whole time. He's not talking to him. And he says, uh, it must be that there was a good reason. Because it couldn't be that people shouldn't come to the Seder when they're supposed to come to the Seder. So there must have been a very good reason. So I'm sure that the person, uh, once the reason is settled, will come to the Seder whenever he has to come. That was the speech. It's beremis to be able to tell somebody something without telling it to them. Because that's drocheo darchenoa. A famous story with the Chofetz Chaim that, uh, that I heard from the Ponevizhirov, that the Ponevizhirov said that he saw it, that the Chofetz Chaim went to collect money uh, for the yeshiva, and a person came and gave him a large donation, and stuck out his hand to him, but the person was not a, was not a Shomer Shabbos. At a time when most Jews were. It was not a Sabbath observer. So the Chofetz Chaim took his hand, and he looked at him, and he said, He said, such a good hand should burn in hell? How could that be? So he didn't give him any musr on, on being a, a Shomer Shabbos. And in the Chufs, and the Bishponavishorov told me the man became a Shomer Shabbos immediately. He just terrorized him. So that's Drocheo Darche It says in the Torah, Vayikru Elakim Laor Yom, Velachoshech Koraloila. The Rabboni Shalom called light day. Doesn't say God called darkness night. By or it says the name of Hashem. It doesn't say Elokim. It doesn't say anybody. Koraloila was called night. Because night people are afraid of. It's dark. We don't want to put God's name there. So the Torah only said Koraloila. By or it says, We have a, a halacha that women are not mitzuva alteria verivia. Women are not commanded to have children. Well, if men are commanded to have children, and women are not commanded, how does it happen? How come? Then what's the logic in the halacha? The ultimate forshim say that God placed the maternal instinct within women, and women want children and families, etc., etc. But that, does, that still begs the question. So the Forshim say, because 
Childbirth is a painful experience, the greatly painful experience. The Torah cannot command somebody to go through painful experiences. So the Torah said it's not a mitzvah. Ah, it happens, etc. Good, fine. That's the way the world is going to work. Excellent. But to say that's a mitzvah, I told you to do it, and then to suffer that pain, that's not Jocheo Darche Noam. The Torah wouldn't do it. The Rajbam of Boba Basra says, on uh, the Rajbam is Rashi's grandson. So uh, in the laws of inheritance in the Torah, in the Parsha of the daughters of Tzlovchad, so in the laws of inheritance, the laws are that if a man has a son, then the son inherits him. If a man has no sons, then the daughters inherit. If a man has no sons or daughters, so then... The father of the man inherits. It goes up. It's always in a vertical line. But if you look in the Chumash, it doesn't say that. In the Chumash, it says that the brothers inherit, not the father. So then how do we reconcile the fact that the halacha is that it's the father who inherits, and the uh, the Chumash says the brothers that inherit. So the Rajbam says, it's drachea darche noam, that a father should, God forbid, inherit a son is not pleasant. And therefore the Torah didn't want to write it. The Torah left it for Torah Shabal Ped, they'll straighten it out. They'll, the halacha will come out straight. But that we should say such a thing, it's not drachea darche noam. And the Torah therefore didn't want to say it. So you see that drachea darche noam governs the Torah itself. The Torah is not unpleasant. Tell you one last point also that the Gemara in Yevomas, the Gemara in Yevomas discusses a man that had two wives and they died, he died without children and one of the wives has to have Yibum or Chlitza and they, what happened with the, and the other wife went off and got married. And so it's a machogas beishamai and beisila whether what the other wife needed that she need anything or not. So beishamai says that she also needed chalitza. She had to have the uh, the uh, ceremony of chalitza in order to marry. So the Gemara says, but she already married. So the Gemara says, but if she gets chalitza now after she's married, her husband will feel very uncomfortable with her. Because he'll think that they were not legitimately married before. So the Gemara says, who cares? What I care if the husband feels uncomfortable or not? So the Gemara says, what are you talking about? Well, you can't say that we're going to put them in an uncomfortable situation. The Torah is pleasantness. The Torah is But the Gemara in Sukkah says, you're not allowed to have a lulav that has jagged edges at the side, because you may cut yourself. The Gemara says. The Torah is pleasant. The Torah would never tell you to take a lulav that can cut you. So we see from all of this that the only way uh, that uh, a Jew can reach uh, what he should be is by applying in every facet of one's behavior in life. And therefore we say you have to do mitzvahs pleasantly, you have to treat people pleasantly, you have to treat yourself pleasantly. 
The Gemara says that the whole idea of obscenities and of evil speech, etc., is because it's not darchinam, it's not pleasant. Nobody likes to hear it. And therefore, this is one of the overriding values that uh, sets us on the path that the Torah wanted us to achieve and makes us v'yisem kadoshim kikodosh oni, allows us to at least aspire to be a holy people and to emulate our Creator, who is also, so to speak, bound by this concept and value of pleasantness. This can... J.M. and the A.M., Rabbi Barrel Wine, brilliant uh, series uh, called Jewish Values, and that's the uh, segment entitled, or lecture entitled, Pleasantness. Uh, RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com, uh, 1-800-499-WEIN. J.M. and the A.M., thank you for tuning in and being part of our nine days format on this uh, on this uh, Wednesday. We are back to our, um, I guess what we could call regular format this coming Monday. Uh, don't forget, there is plenty coming up that you need to know about regarding uh, Tishabov. Again, as has become a tradition, a many decades old tradition, this coming Sunday at the Isaiah Wall, uh, we'll be gathering for Mincha at about 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Mincha at the Isaiah Wall, which is across the street from the United Nations. Bring your towels and tefillin. 2 p.m. this coming Sunday on First Avenue between 42nd and 43rd Streets in Manhattan under the leadership of uh, Amcha and uh, many uh, wonderful Jewish leaders who for decades have utilized Tisha B'Av to bring attention to Jews and Jewish communities in danger and in difficult situations around the world. So that's this coming uh, Sunday, of course, Tisha B'Av at 2 p.m. I am proud that we have uh, participated in an amazing tradition, which at the beginning, frankly, I didn't know if it would be uh, well-received or not. And my gosh, has it been well-received. This coming Sunday night at 7 p.m., Charlie Harari closes out the Fast of Tisha B'Av with you, all of us. 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock, until the break fast. <laughs> Charlie Harari is going to be um, inspiring us through the work of Project Inspire. They're bringing the show to everybody. Tune into our stream this coming Sunday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and you'll be able to wrap up the fast, close out Tisha B'Av on a very, very high, positive, and inspiring note. So that's happening uh, with Project Inspire and all of us at NSN this coming Sunday starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to have the NSN app. You could utilize our call-in listen line. Uh, to listen via the telephone if you wish. Um, you could uh, utilize your computer, of course, your iPad, your iPhone, your iPod, <laughs> anything you wish. The listen line, by the way, is 605-562-4400. 605-562-4400. So you literally can call that number at 7 p.m. Sunday night and hear the entire Charlie Harari presentation at the end of Tisha B'Av. It's pretty amazing. The OU, of course, continues its uh, tradition of kinnis on Tisha B'Av with Rabbi Weinrib and Rabbi Weil. Uh, tune into OU.org. OU.org has that for you this coming Sunday morning. It's a very inspiring and uh, really incredible session of kinnis. Uh, no matter where you are around the world, take advantage and log on for that uh, incredible program.
Um, the rally is, of course, today, and we keep emphasizing it, and we're hoping that everybody will show up and express their uh, point of view, their opinion, have their voices heard, please. The rally is uh, this coming uh, today, the, today, Wednesday. Today, 5.30 p.m., and it's on uh, 42nd Street and 7th Avenue in New York City, Times Square. You've heard of it, right? And as we await to see how our leaders are going to react to this deal, let's make sure we participate in the Stop Iran Now rally. Stop Iran Now rally. Today at 5.30. If you're uh, in Manhattan during the day, golden opportunity to go straight to the rally and then home. Uh, If you're somewhere else, come into Manhattan, participate, stay for an hour or two, and and then head off. But when the generations uh, from now ask, what did we do? Were we there? Let's be able to say yes. Let's be able to say that we contacted our public officials. Let's be able to say that we took the advice of those organizations that have been releasing the types of statements that need to be made to our public officials. I have to give credit, not just APAC, but many others as well have really posted, and if you search online, you'll find it, uh, some great guidelines of what to say to our United States senators and members of the House of Representatives on this issue. So if you're having trouble, you're calling number, you're calling the numbers uh, in the offices of your public officials, and you're not sure what to say. There's a lot of great recommendations out there. Uh, if you want to email us, we could forward you some of the emails we've seen with some really good list of recommendations of what to say. So just email us to any of our email addresses, and we'll get that to you uh, later on. Um, more than happy to do that. Uh, but it's important that we contact our public officials and get their opinions. There's an article in the New York Post. This appeared when? This appeared on uh, yesterday at uh, 11 p.m. Senator Charles Schumer was keeping his opinion to himself on the nuke deal with the Obama administration that the Obama administration cut with Iran. But constituents in his Brooklyn backyard weren't shy Tuesday about slamming the pact. A 30-something woman in the Orthodox Midwood area said it would put the American people in danger as well as everyone in the Middle East. Good statement. It's a global economy, and when one region is in danger, everyone's in danger, she said. President Obama and Schumer should look at Iran's record and see if they held their bargains in the past. Hadassah, 40 years old, said Schumer and others in Congress should wield their power to stop the deal, which critics have decried as toothless. She said, I say vote against it. History has shown a lot of bad has come from Iran. I work with a lot of Persian communities, and they speak about the atrocities in Iran. Good statements from our people. I like this. Uh, she added, I feel it'll be bad for our country. Israel's a peace-loving country. Iran is not. Anytime we make a connection to a non-peace-loving country, it's not good for the United States. It sends a message that we have tolerance for atrocities, and suddenly it's okay to do bad things. Very nice. Um, so the trustworthiness of Iran seems to be a, a major topic. Uh, Senator Schumer is not the only one, obviously. I think he is the one that everybody wants to... Uh, wants to uh, find out ASAP how he's going to vote and what his thoughts are regarding this issue of Iran. But he's not the only one. There are other public officials as well, members of the United States House of Representatives as well, who need to be spoken to, need to be contacted, need to be encouraged if, in fact, they're on the right side of this issue, need to be uh, informed if they're on the other side of the issue. Very important, and very important that all of us take this role and take it very seriously. 
Hey, I want to give a nine-day shout-out to Chaim Kirshner. Chaim Kirshner and his crew at Garden of Eden on Avenue J in Brooklyn, New York. So first of all, you can imagine a landmark uh, dairy restaurant like uh, his, jam-packed during the nine days. But yesterday, for the first time, I had the chance to see the new Garden of Eden. They have completely redone it, and it's absolutely beautiful. So I wanted to give him a shout-out and to let him know that the decor and his food are as great as ever over there on Avenue J in Brooklyn, New York. We send best regards. By the way, I <laughs> I noticed a sign on Avenue J yesterday. Do you know that they're actually open on Sunday night? You know that Garden of Eden is actually open Sunday night. You could break your fast at their restaurant Sunday night at 9.15. I thought that was unbelievable. So big shout-out to Chaim from all of us here at JM in the AM. 25 minutes after 7 o'clock with 71 degrees, sunshine and a high temperature of 87. Lots of stuff going on in our community calendar, of course, as you would suspect. I noticed yesterday that uh, they added another event uh, to the Project Witness list of events. Um, Project Witness has an additional showing that they've arranged in Borough Park for the film Once Upon a Family for tonight, for Wednesday night. They had an overwhelming crowd Monday. Uh, it was standing room only. Um, plus, they did a third showing for the women who <laughs> who were there on the spot. It's pretty amazing. Um, so those of you out there who have not yet seen it, it's called Once Upon a Family, the... Uh, Focus is on Polish jury. It's done by Project Witness, who have been at the forefront of so many amazing programs when it comes to uh, Holocaust education. We discussed this with Mrs. Lichtenstein when she was here. She's the head of it, of course. We discussed it with her when uh, she was in our studio. Uh, so tonight they'll be in uh, Borough Park, Brooklyn, and they've added a... Uh, They've added a screening. So now, if you uh, if you put it all together, uh, the doors will open at 7.15, and the program will begin at 8 p.m. Uh, the men's program is at the Lipschitz Hall on 14th Avenue. The women's program at Terrace Golda on 50th Street. So the doors will open at 7.15. The program will begin at 8 p.m., and this has been done. This has been added due to overwhelming demand, and uh, you can participate uh, by going there tonight. Uh, Pua has an event tonight. We'll talk about that in the 8 o'clock hour. Naomi Nachman is leading an event tomorrow, the bake sale for the Lone Soldier Center. We'll talk about that. That starts tomorrow. We'll talk about that later on as well uh, here at JM in the AM. And... Um, Told you about the OU for Sunday. The Jewish Heritage Day at the Brooklyn Cyclones is Sunday, August 2nd. That's a week from this Sunday. They have the big buy one, get one free offer on tickets. Uh, all you got to do is use the passcode home run when you go to the Brooklyn Cyclones uh, website. So that's happening on Sunday, August 2nd. The Hatsala NYPD game that they're calling Home Run Heroes is happening on Monday, August 3rd. That starts at 4.30 p.m. because they are featuring a concert starring Avram Freed and others, plus the Chicago Boys acrobatic team, and, of course, the game. So this is going to be one 
action-packed night that they are doing on the 3rd of August, the NYPD and Hatzalah. So you could check that out and uh, get ready for a fun night on August the uh, 3rd. Uh, there is a, I, I meant to mention there's a, um, a Tisha Buff program for the Flatbush community on Sunday. Shachris at 8, Kinnis at 8.45 with our Imosha Usher Reinitz. Um, there'll be a Mincha at 1.45 and an Eicha Shir at 6 p.m. This is all happening at our Zakheim Shul on Avenue J, 2423 Avenue J, corner of Bedford and J in Brooklyn, New York. So that's this coming Sunday on Tishabov. They will have that uh, for everybody in Rabbi Zakheim Shul this coming Sunday. Um, right. Our Rabbi Goldwasser should be joining us in uh, in a moment or two, I believe. And we'll be able to present Morning Chizuk, go back to our Ibero Wine and his series on Jewish values. We're going to go to uh, the segment on uh, the land of Israel with Rabbi Wine coming up, so you'll be able to enjoy that here at JM in the AM. Uh, we'll go to a uh, repeat, a replay, an encore presentation, a rerun. <laughs> uh, Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Morning. We learn in the Talmud and Psachim, at the time when the wicked Nebuchadnezzar cast Hananiah, Mishol, and Azariah into the fiery furnace, Yerachma, the master of hail, stood before Hashem and said before him, Rebona Shalayla, master of the universe, I will go down to the world and cool the furnace, and I will save these righteous ones from its flames. Gavriel said to him, The mighty of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not apparent in this manner, for you are the master of hail, and all know that water extinguishes fire. I, however, am the master of fire. I will descend to the world and cool the furnace inside and scald on the outside. Thereby I'll perform a miracle within a miracle. Hashem said to him, Descend. Hagoin Rebaran Soloveitchik Ask what is the symbolic meaning of this piece of Agadita. The Sar Habarod, whose intentions were certainly noble, was of the opinion that the Jews should show more friendship and more goodwill towards the nations. This is the way to overcome anti-Semitism. He thought that by preaching goodwill and different ecumenical ideas, he would be matzliach in cooling the fire of anti-Semitism. However, Gavriel was symbolic of Gvuras Kel, persevering amidst the many hardships for the sake of Hashem. He extinguished fire with fire, only by affirming his own ideology to the extent of Mesiras Nefesh, self-sacrifice. That is what sustains us throughout the long night of Golos. Rebbe Yomin Atzadik, the Magid from Raden, came to visit the Chovetz Chaim. The Chovetz Chaim said to him, Oy vey, Rabbi Yamin, what's going to be? The Golos is so long and the night is so dark. Rabbi Yamin said, Rabbi, I'll give you a marshal. Once in the middle of the winter, a group of Balabatim had to leave for a long journey from Petersburg to Odessa. It was going to take many days. Since it was in the middle of the bitter winter, they went in a special snow wagon 
that was hitched to two strong and healthy horses. The people inside the wagon were dressed well. They set out on their journey at night and traveled for a long distance. As they sat inside the wagon, the Balabatim said a little to them. They spoke. The hours went by. Then they took a little bit wine in order to warm themselves. After they drank, they soon all fell asleep. Morning came, but in that part of Russia, there was only a little bit of daylight. They slept very deeply for more than ten hours. When they woke up, they saw that it was still dark outside. They said a little more to them, talked between themselves, drank more, and went back to sleep. The same thing happened again. When they woke up, it was still dark. The passengers turned to the wagon driver and said, What's going on here? How could it be night for so long? The wagon driver said, What type of night do you think this is? It was day twice, but you have been sleeping during the day. So said the Magid to the Chavetz Chaim, This is what happens. We ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Why is this night of Golos so long? However, the truth is, we sleep through the day, and then there came to be a new night. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. JM in the AM. Reminder, rally. Stop Iran now rally. 42nd Street, 7th Avenue, New York City, 530 today. Please, please, please be there and encourage everyone you know to be there. Rabbi Beryl Wine, Jewish Values. This lecture about the land of Israel at JM in the AM. Tonight's uh, topic uh, deals with Eretz Israel as a value. Now, and I'm talking as a uh, political statement or as an idea of uh, Jewish nationalism, but as a religious value, because this entire series deals with values. And the value of Eretz Israel as uh, an idea uh, is one of the most supreme values in all of Torah and all of the Jewish people. I read an article uh, before Yom Yushalayim written by the chief rabbi of Haifa, Rav Shor Yashuv Cohen, uh, who uh, the thrust of the article uh, was a remembrance of his experiences in Yerushalayim. He was captured in the 1948 war. He spent nine months in the Jordanian prison camp. He lost part of his leg. Uh, and he writes about his experiences uh, regarding Yerushalayim over the past 57 years. But one of the things that he pointed out is, uh, and he said it very clearly, he said that Medinat Yisrael... The state of Israel is meant to be a conduit, is meant to be a means to achieve Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. And in other words, that the state and our nationalism and everything that we have accomplished, that's not the end, that's only the means. And the means, uh, he quotes naturally from his father, the Nazir, and uh, from Rav Kook, uh, that the physical rebuilding of the Jewish people is a necessary prerequisite for the spiritual rebuilding of the Jewish people. But it is not the end. The end is that spiritual rebuilding. And as he calls it, it's the rebuilding of Eretz Israel, 
and not just of Medinas Israel. So we speak about the Eretz Israel here as a value, as one of the ideas uh, that has been constant throughout Jewish history. And it's been constant, it's interesting whether the Jewish people were here in the land of Israel or whether they were in the diaspora, in the exile. Uh, because uh, we see in the Nevi'im, uh, the Nevi'im always speak about how does Eretz Israel react to the behavior of the people who live there. As though Eretz Yisrael is a living thing. It's not a passive piece of land, but it's a living organism. And this living organism reacts to what happens on it, around it, through it, and that that's the value, uh, that's the idea of what Eretz Yisrael represents. Now, the Jewish people spent most of their history outside the land of Israel. Uh, we're a people that are uh, 33, over 3,300 years old from Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and most of the time we have not been here. And whenever we have been here, uh, it has not been sweetness and light. There were periods, good periods, the period of David HaMelech, the period of Shlomo HaMelech, 80 years. Then it started to fall apart. Uh, in the time of uh, the second temple, the period of the Hashmanoim, so the first hundred years uh, was a good time, and then it fell apart. And it's been a difficult, difficult situation always regarding living in the land of Israel. And the reason for that is because we are trying to translate a spiritual value into an everyday life, into a state that has to function, into all of the problems of everyday living. It's much easier to deal with it as an imaginary thing because then you never have any disappointments and you don't have to worry about it and you don't have to collect taxes and you don't have the, the whole problem. But how do we make it work practically uh, that is a major challenge, and that challenge has faced the Jewish people every time they've been here in the land of Israel. So we find that uh, during the time of Yoshua and the Shoftim, so during the time of Yoshua, the Jewish people still were afraid of Yoshua because they still were afraid of Moshe. Moshe had such a lasting influence upon them that as long as Yoshua was here, they still thought that Moshe was here. But when Yoshua died, so then Vayibi Shvota Shoftim, we read now in the Megillah of Ruth. Shvota uh, Shoftim Rashi says the judges were judged. The Jewish people said, in effect, Miata, who are you to tell me to do anything? Everybody did whatever they wanted to. It was the ultimate pluralistic society. Do whatever you want. So then it's chaos falls apart. So then God has to remind them that they're Jews, right? So he sends the Plishtim, he sends the Amalekim, he sends the Knanim. All sorts of problems. And it takes time until David HaMelech comes on the scene uh, that the situation somehow becomes ameliorated. Now it becomes livable. And uh, during the last years of David, the last 20 years of David, 
and the first 25, 30 years of Shlomo HaMelech, so then it is finally what Eretz Yisrael is supposed to be. And they build the temple, and everything is wonderful. But people, especially the Jewish people, cannot stand prosperity. They cannot stand that everything should be wonderful, so they have to make it not so wonderful. And uh, Shlomo uh, wanders away, and then there's a rebellion, and Yerovim ben Nevot, and then they split into two kingdoms, and then they become idolaters and pagans, and that's the story. So because of that, Eretz Yisrael is the most sensitive topic to discuss. And I hesitated to put it down on the sheet as one of the values to discuss, because I'm well aware that whatever one says... Uh, can unfortunately be subject to misinterpretation and also because it's so sensitive because we're living here and we're part of it and therefore we feel it perhaps differently than in the theory of Eretz Yisrael the Gemara says Gimel Matonos Nosan HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yisrael God gave us three gifts below Nosan Yisurim and all three come with great pain the three gifts are Torah. If you want to be a Talmud Chacham, if you want to study Torah, then it's sacrifice, it's Yisurim, it's uh, giving up hours and time. If you really want to be a great Talmud Chacham, so then it requires an enormous amount of concentration, willpower. It's Yisurim. It's not easy. Anyone who has ever opened the Daf Gemara and looked at it, the page itself is sufficient to dissuade you from going further. That three different fonts on the page, it's, uh, it's written in a language that uh, very difficult for us. We don't speak Aramaic anymore. And then you have Rashi on one side and Tosas on the other side, and then you have uh, the Rush in the back, and nobody agrees on anything with it. It's Biasurian. If you want to accomplish something, then you have to pay for it. The second thing the Gemara says is Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael comes by Yisurin. It's a matona. So look at the language of the Talmud. The language of the Talmud is that it's a gift. Meaning we're not entitled. The language of matona is always that you're not entitled. It's a gift. There are certain things in life that we think we're entitled to. But there, the Talmud, when it says Matona, so you're not entitled to be a Talmud Chochem, you have to earn it. You're not entitled there to Israel, you have to earn it. How do you earn it? Be Yisurin, right? And we can all testify what that means. The Jewish people for over the past hundred years here in Eretz Israel, every day is Yisurim, every day is problems, every day is blood. Every day is all of the difficulties that we're so well aware of. And the greatest Yisurim is that you don't see any way out of it. That's, you know, as long as you see a way out of it, then people, uh, people uh, almost are happy to absorb the Yisurim. But Yisurim on end, with no way out, so that already is a different level of pain. The third gift that Gemara says is Olam eternity, immortality. So you only gain that also through sacrifice. You only gain that also through willing to undergo sacrifice and pain. 
So because of that, we have this great concept that Eretz Yisrael has to be earned. Now you have another concept that God promised it to us. He told us from the beginning, He told Avram Avinu, I'm giving you this land. It's going to be yours. He told it to Yitzchak. He told it to Yaakov. He's told it to us from the beginning of time. This is your land. I'm giving it to you. The only thing is that when it comes uh, to the bottom line, uh, it's not our land. Avram Avinu wants uh, to bury his wife, Sarah. So he has to buy the Mars from the B'nai Ches, from Ephron, for an enormous amount of money. The Rashi there quotes the Medrash that says, Avram, the greatness of Avram was that he didn't say to God, but you promised me, you said it's my land. What do you mean i got to pay him 400 shekel over La Socher, the best mint coins? You promised it to me. And Yitzchak digs wells all over the country and all the wells the Philistines uh, take over they stop them up they throw them out and the Yitzhak does not say but you promised me that the land is mine and Yaakov Avinu when he comes back from Lovan so he has to buy the land by Shem and he doesn't say again you know God you promised me you told me it would be mine so that's part of the definition of Yisurin. Yisurin is when you have to buy and sacrifice for what is yours. What belongs to you already. You have to start all over again. Which is in essence what happened to the Jewish people over the last hundred years. Whether it be through... Uh, the Karen Kayemet, or through private funds, or whatever, or purchase, you, you have to buy it all over again. Because of the fact that that's Eretz Yisrael, Nikmas be Yisuri. So we have to be prepared for that. We have to realize that on one hand it's ours, it was promised to us by God, and God's promises are valid. God's contract has never defaulted. And on the other hand, uh, we have to earn it. We have to buy it. We have to fight for it. We have to bleed for it. It's not ours. And that balance, uh, that contradiction almost, uh, lies at the heart of the Yisurian of Eretz Yisrael. Now, the Talmud has... Very, the Talmud is very, very pro Eretz Israel. Let's put it that way. And the Talmud uh, has almost a hidden anger, and this is the Babylonian Talmud, let alone the Yerushalmi, the uh, Talmud that was written in Eretz Israel. The Talmud has almost a hidden anger at people that don't come to Eretz Israel when they have an opportunity to do so. When the Jewish world had an opportunity to do so. But the Gemara says, for instance, by Ezra, that at the time of Ezra, most of the Jews stayed in Bovel. They didn't come back. And the Talmud says, Ilu olu if they would have come up in waves, they would have, if they would have come home, then the second temple would have had all of the spiritual glory and miracles that the first temple had. But because the Jews didn't want it, so God says, okay, so you don't want it, I, I don't want it either. 
It didn't come back. And throughout the history of the Second Temple, there were tremendous uh, Jewish communities all over the Mediterranean basin, in Rome, in Greece, in Bovel, in, uh, uh, in Egypt, in Alexandria. And the rabbis always held that against them. J.M. in the A.M. with our barrel wine. The lecture is entitled The Land of Israel, part of the Jewish Values Series, and we continuously, during our nine days format, thank and recommend our barrel wine's lectures. We thank her by wine and recommend his lectures uh, all year round. Uh, information on the web, rabbiwine.com, rabbiwein.com, and of course you can uh, call 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN. We're going to take a break for a few minutes from our uh, staple of our nine days programming to introduce a special guest who's in our studio tonight. You know, tonight's a night for big events. Tonight we're hoping the entire world, not just the Jewish world, but the entire world, all people from New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and other areas will be coming to New York City for the Stop Iran Now rally. And that starts at 5.30 p.m. in New York, 5.30 p.m. in Times Square, uh, located at the 42nd Street and 7th Avenue in uh, New York City. And again, we hope everybody comes out and participates. Uh, those of you who are heading from Manhattan tonight after the rally to the Long Island area, uh, the amazing PUA Institution, the PUA Institute, the the PUA organization, has a benefit barbecue. You heard that correctly, a barbecue in the middle of the nine days happening in Lawrence, New York, at the home of the Honig family, starting at 8 p.m. You're invited to their home in Lawrence for a seum and barbecue that will benefit the vital work of the PUA organization. It has been a while since we have featured their work here at JM and the AM. Their leader is Rabbi Gidon Weitzman, who is in the United States visiting from Israel, and joining us here on a Wednesday at JM in the AM, Rabbi Weitzman, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. It's good to be back here, Nachum. It has been a while since we uh, since we've spoken on the air. You told me off the air. It's probably around fifteen years or so. <laughs> Something like I that. would bet your organization has grown <laughs> tremendously <laughs> since then. <laughs> I think there was a time. Tell me if I'm right. Wasn't there a time when your organization uh, held uh, events or or designated a specific Shabbat when it came to Parsha Shmos? When it came to uh, the Parsha that references Shifra and Pua in the Parsha? Sure. I mean, we've been around uh, Pua for over 20 years. Uh, we started in, in Yerushalayim, which is still our center. And uh, we have a wonderful office here in New York. We have an office in Los Angeles, in Paris. And in Israel for many years, Parashat Shemot has been the, the week where we have our annual conference right. and uh, try to raise awareness. Um, and doing the same here. And uh, as you said, in the past uh, 10 or 15 years here in uh, New York and in throughout the United States, we've really raised our visibility and we've been able to help a lot, a lot of couples who have experienced or are experiencing problems in getting pregnant, remaining pregnant, uh, with genetic problems, with intimacy problems, adolescence, and we're able to help them. We've been able to help them, and with your help, to continue helping them. So the Parsha Shemot focus does continue. That's still an important week for the Pua Institute. That's an important week, but every, you know what, every day is important. Right, no, no, no. Every, every day we have couples coming. A lot of organizations <laughs> identify with a specific time of year, a specific date, and that's yours. Um, how did this all begin? Was it a personal tale? Was it a wow. specific situation that came to someone's desk? How did all this start and when? 
1978 was the first born, the first child born through IVF in London by the name of Louise Brown. July the 25th, 1978, it's almost her birthday this week. Right. Um, and really, fertility has flourished since then. It's become in leaps and bounds, especially in Israel. Israel has become really one of the centers for fertility, but also, of course, here in New York and throughout the Jewish world. And as the technology developed, obviously, Jews wanted to avail themselves of it. And more and more couples were coming, more and more questions were arriving at the chief rabbinate of Israel. And Rav Mordechai Eliyahu Zatzal turned to Rav Borstein and said, you've got to really take this, make it, if you pardon the pun, your baby. <laughs> and um, and you've got to develop a, an institute that's going to be able to, A, answer their questions, B, guide them to where to, do, where to go, where's the best place, what should be done. And... Uh, C, be a very important support system. And probably one of the most important things we also do is to supervise, to make sure there's, make sure that there's no mistakes being made in the lab. I'm actually going to go from here to one of our labs in Manhattan uh, where we're having a tour of the lab to look and to see how we can implement greater standards, higher standards, to be able to ensure that there's no mistakes being made in the lab. You know, remember, a couple's coming mm -hmm. in to have a treatment. Right. They want to make sure that there's no... They're, they're very frightened about what's going to happen in the lab, what's going to happen with me. And um, and so the fact that they have supervision that can ensure that there's no mistake, that's a huge support for the couple. That's a huge impetus for them to be able to do treatment. They're looking for that security, those safeguards, and you're able to provide it. Totally. Um, so it started small and grown. I don't even know how one would calculate this, but knowing you, you probably have some type of system. Do we know how many families have grown because of the work of PUA, or how many children are out there, and now many of them adults, because of the work of PUA over the years? Well, we uh, calculate that worldwide, annually, we're involved in the birth of about 1,500, 1, 1,500 Jewish children. Um, Many of them here in the States. So we're talking about hundreds of children a year. And in fact, the amazing thing, Nachum, I go to a community, um, and in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have a, uh, a Shabbat in, uh, in uh, one of the communities here in the New York area. And every Shabbat they have, or well, tonight it's going to happen, I'm going to come after barbecue, I'm gonna, someone's going to come <laughs> and say, here's a picture of my kid because of you. Right. So it happens a tremendous amount. I mean, we're, we're thinking of thousands of children yeah, over the years. And, and there are a lot of great places that are doing great work in this area in the Jewish world, to say the least. You have some very impressive colleagues that's for sure <laughs> uh but you have really been uh, first of all your work in israel is before anybody else right i mean you sure. were there before anybody was there sure we were we really were the first to develop this idea and as you say Baruch Hashem, we've been followed by others right. and that's good there's there's room yeah. for everybody no to do, question di about to do different things and to work together to complement each other is it a lot different in israel than in other parts of the world when when people go through this whole system or where they seek the type of help that they need Look, pain is pain everywhere. It's always the same. People are always in, uh, st struggling and suffering and feeling the same. doesn't matter where you come from. In Israel, just the basis is a little different because of the way the system works is that it's actually fertility treatment often is free. Uh, unlike here, Baruch Hashem, you know, the government of Israel many years ago made that decision. Yeah. So maybe the financial strain that is also a strain here for couples is a little less. But I think on a personal level, I think Pua is very much a personable community uh, uh, organization. And, and those that will come tonight and those that hear about it and listen to us today well, should know that really the reason that I'm here, I could just do this by phone or I could do this by Skype. I think the meeting the person is very, very important. I, I, you know, yesterday a couple came to my office uh, here in New York. I've spoken to them. I've emailed them. We've discussed. There's not a – there's no – 
nothing that can replace sitting in front of a couple and, and being part of their story, part of their pain, and hopefully alleviating that a little bit. Um, and so that's really, really essential part of what we do, and I think that's the same anywhere in the world. You uh, mentioned IVF treatment starting in 1978, the success of it, etc. A lot of people familiar with it in our community. Take the last few years. We're now in 2015. So, I mean, just in the last handful of years, not going back into the 20th century, <laughs> there must be advances, things that go at a much quicker pace, technologies that do make things more secure and more safeguarded. It, it must be a completely different world, and I would guess that as time goes by, every few months there are changes that, that benefit the couples who are going through this. Oh, that's so true. And not only do they benefit, remember that anybody who's dealing in the field has to constantly re-educate themselves. Yeah, boy, to keep up, you, yeah, it's rough. You've got to spend a lot of time <laughs> It goes very that. quickly. Sure, it's it's tough. You know, you think uh, it's tough learning Duff Yomi. You miss right. one day, you learn it, you miss a Duff. <laughs> I mean, here, if you miss the one journal, then you've missed the whole era of, uh, of, of work. Um, there's a tremendous amount of, of, of development in the fact of certain things that we didn't know about before. I think one of the greatest areas that we're talking about today that we weren't talking about 15 years ago was uh, is genetics. We know right. so much more about that in the community. We know much, so much more about how we can solve those problems, how we can identify those problems. I, I'll give an example. A woman came to me uh, a couple of months ago from South Africa mm -hmm. together with her Khatan. They're not yet married. They both have a genetic abnormality. They're thinking, should they get married, should not get married? What are their options? So we sat and we opened up. This goes under the Pua umbrella? This goes under the Pua umbrella as well. And wow. This is what we can do. And I said to her, and I think it's so true, you know what? 20 years ago or 50 years ago, you wouldn't have even known about this. You would have right. got married, never you would have children who right. either would have been severely, severely disabled or even wouldn't, even more than that, they right. wouldn't have even survived. And you wouldn't even know about it. And the fact that today we know about it. You know, we, with the knowledge that we've gained and the ability to treat of that, as you said, that's also on the poor. There's so many things that we've, it's not just being a chomer on IVF. It's, right. it's trying to create healthy families. Um, and that's developed. Sure. I'm thinking as you're saying all this, other areas that you need to explore or that you're probably, you know, expert at in the organization. And you alluded to it earlier, counseling in general is a, you know, for those who are not ready for certain treatments or those who've gone through it already or those who have not had success. It must be a, a a constant you know type of uh, uh, of consultation with people like you. I mean that's uh, we're counseling couple. We have about four hundred calls a day through our New York office and our and our uh, Jerusalem office. About four hundred calls a day with emails and uh, all the other communications. Um, many of them are people who come back. Many of the people come. You know, I had a child and I'm now struggling again. Or we still ha we're not successful. What do we do next? And a lot of the counseling is, as we said before, is directing them where to go. Uh, what's the halachic component of that? But also to be a support for them. A lot of people say, why do we need to come to Pua? We can go to our doctor told us. Right. We do excellent. There's a lot of things that maybe you know you need to go to some other expert. You need to get another second opinion. But that social, that that support, that being someone a shoulder to cry, achisemech lachi ezer, is something that you can't replace. The doctor. That's not their, his or her spec. The his or her spec is to get you have a baby. Right. And with all due respect to doctors, and many of them we know are phenomenal, but uh, from the halakhic perspective, nobody has the experience you have, So you know, meaning your organization. So and We also sat with all the gedolim you know, throughout the generations. Uh, I assume Arif. both in Israel and outside of Israel. Sure. Rav Shlomo Zalman, Rav Elyoshev, Rav Rav all of the gedolim of the past generation, and the mamshichim today, and and this country, with Rav Belsky, with Rav Shechter, with... Uh, 
the poskim from the Aguda. Hashem, we've really had a lot of uh, discussions with a lot of gedolim, and to be able to come to say what is appropriate for this couple. Um, I, 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 I ask about the differences between Israel and outside, and we're told not to do that, but <laughs> that's why we're told not to do it because we always do it. Um, <laughs> technologically, is Israel further advanced? In other words. In other words, if someone would have an opportunity, and obviously because of cost and because of insurance situations, normally a couple from outside of Israel can't just go to Israel to do this, and those in Israel would not want to go outside for the reasons you described, et cetera, et cetera. But if one had their, their pick of these, you know, of these, um, medical committees from, you know, that, that they can go to anywhere in the world, would they in fact choose Israel over other places or Israel? I think if, you, if people have a choice, they would choose not to have infertility. Yeah, because that's imagine. probably the best thing. But, but would they uh, choose Israel over other areas or the U.S. and Israel are basically the same when know, it comes to their... You're putting me on the spot because we know that everybody listens to your show and all the doctors <laughs> are listening now and then they're saying, what's what's going to say about it? <laughs> I'm curious, is there, a, <laughs> is there a vast difference or basically... Sure. No, I'm, I'm being facetious. Yeah. I think, there, is, is there a difference in actual treatment and, for, and expertise? And level of expertise? Yeah. Like, Look, everywhere is... Are those Doing this in Israel, getting you know, much different and uh, and, and more advanced uh, you know acumen than they have here. It's an excellent question. It's one that we get asked a lot. First of all, there's something called fertility tourism. Uh, there was actually an article in the New York Times a few years ago, front page article, and they quoted us um, about people who are going to not only to do fertility, lots of things, partly to do with cost and partly to do with expertise. I think that everywhere has a slightly different expertise. I think in America there's an expertise. First of all, people are paying a lot. So if you're paying a lot, uh, so you want to get pregnant as quick as possible. Right. In Israel, and the doctors know that, and the doctors know that, and they're getting paid well for it, right? And in Israel, it's covered, right? But we're also treating a lot of times older patients. So an older patient who may be in America would be encouraged maybe to stop or to go to a third party or to go to egg donation or other problem, other types of treatment which right. have their own ramifications, mm-hmm. halachic and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Maybe in Israel we'll still treat them. So we've had experience there's of couples who have done multiple treatments. There's very few people in America who've done fifteen IVFs because it's the That difference. could happen in Israel. That could happen in Israel. Right. So we've seen things that we haven't seen right. here. Um, that's Aliyava Kotzba, that's a good thing right. and maybe the problem is that maybe there is a motivation to do to get uh, pregnant quicker. So I think that there's I think what I, what is great about poor uh, is that we do have this international flavor. So we have we have the Israeli experience, and I can move people from here to there, as it were, or bring experience to here. But we also have the American experience. I know what's going on here, and, and I think often we, I said to my, to my couples, but you know in America they're doing it this way. Great so, analysis of the right. benefits of both. That yeah. was really good. Uh, Rabbi Gidon Weitzman is here. We're talking about the Pua Institute. We'll get to the event information in a moment. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County, at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Before we go to the event, I'm sure others are thinking what I'm thinking as you're saying all this. Uh, didn't we just hear that in Israel a... G- tell me the uh, the age. Was it 65? 65. 65-year-old woman gave birth. That was in Israel. Wow, yes. It was 65, right? It was, she was 65. Because when you said older correct. couples are being treated, I'm saying to myself, wow. <laughs> that's really old. Yeah, that's, that's right. good. Look, out tradition, we have a woman who was 90 who got pregnant, right? That's Sarai Maynard. Correct. So yeah. we do have those cases. <laughs> Which um, I haven't seen that in a while. <laughs> it's Well, it's skipped, to, you know, 4,000 years. Um, and I'm not suggesting you had anything to do with the 65-year-old. I'm, I'm just, glad you know. that I wasn't really out. <laughs> um, there are times in which, you know what, that's a good question. I think it's an ethical question. Right. We could look at it in two ways, Nachum, right? We could say, um, 
why should we stop someone having access right. to treatment? On the other hand, I think that we look at that and say there's it should science in some way should mimic, mimic nature, should yeah. mimic a Kodesh Baruch's world. And danger and complications yeah. scared everybody in that that's case. True. But so that's true. So that's Baruch Hashem. Right. You know what the as you know you're a, you're a radio uh, personality and you know that uh, the the stories that are unusual always make the press. Of course. Most of those don't happen. That's and, a one in a million and story. And this one went viral to say the <laughs> least. All right, Rabbi Gidon Weitzman has made it clear that he would love <laughs> for everybody to be in Manhattan today to uh, participate in the Stop Iran rally. But he also would love, and we'd like to encourage everybody as well, that right after that, you hop on the LIRR. You know, you know there's a train right near sure. there, right? And you go out to uh, the Pua Benefit Barbecue that's happening tonight in Lawrence, New York. The Honig family, they must be magnanimous people if they're opening their home for this event. Baruch Hashem. We have wonderful supporters. Baruch Hashem. The Honig family, Beth and Yehuda Honig, tonight at 8 p.m. Invite everybody to Lawrence, New York for a Seum and Barbecue to benefit the vital work of the Pua organization. Now, if you look online, and it's puaonline.org, you'll see the invitation. It's a barbecue. They'll have uh, uh, whiskey tasting, I believe. Uh, there'll be a seum, of course. We don't want to forget that before we get to the barbecue and the whiskey tasting. Um, in fact, my Weitzman, you're going to conduct the seum tonight. I'm going to do a seum. Um, you know, I spoke, uh, was interviewed on your show uh, recently um, about the seum. You know, we usually don't make seum during the nine days. Right. And uh, in fact, it's actually fascinating that if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, it says that for Sudat Mitzvah, you can eat meat. What are the three cases that he gives? Brit Milah. Pidyon Ben and Asim. So I think that we see the Asim around children get it, being born right. seems to be a good, a good combination. <laughs> We're also going to have a power of option, of course, ah, uh, good. for those that don't want, uh, who don't want to eat meat or those that are going to miss the Asim because they came from the rally and they were there a little right. later. So we're going to have a power of option. Um, and I think for the benefit of Pua, this is, a, this is a really good way to show your support. All right, so everybody out there has an opportunity to be there this evening. There's a distinguished list of committee members, a lot of great families represented. Uh, you can see that online as well if you go to puaonline.org. And the Benefit Barbecue takes place this evening, uh, Wednesday night, out at the uh, Honig family on Muriel Avenue in Lawrence, New York. I guess... Uh, you would like to hear from people, though, right? If they are planning on coming tonight, you'd like to hear in advance, or should people just show up? What should, um, what should people do at this it's point? It's nice that people could let us right. know, but uh, we're happy to anybody just come. All right, so come on by. Uh, is there? Tell me about levels of support for PUA, because I'm sure at this point, after all these years and decades practically, uh, you know the average amount of money that's needed to help a family in Israel. What do you normally tell people? Well, we're talking about it. Remember, we're talking about helping families here as well. Right, correct. Um, you know, and we're talking about families in Lawrence. We're talking about right. families in... In, in here in Jersey, you know, right. we're talking about families around America who are being helped, and not only helping families in Israel and really other parts of the world as well. Right. Right? I mean, we try to have a very, very low budget. We don't have a fancy building. We have a very skeleton staff. We really, the money that we raise from events like tonight. Uh, really goes to help couples, and you're talking a few thousand dollars for each person can make each, a big difference. Can make a huge difference. I mean, you know that that we have, I have the greatest job in the world, which is if you can alleviate someone else's pain. You, there's nothing greater. If you can, I have it behind me. We, we can't see it now, but behind me in my new, in my Jerusalem office, and you're welcome to come, and, and I'd love to host you. I have a picture. I have pictures and pictures of kids who were born through Pua. You must go to a lot of bruises. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. I said every couple, you know, I'm saving you a place on the wall, right. and when you can put another kid on that wall, 
there's nothing greater. There's not, you can't put a price on that. I don't always go to a bris because a lot of people are very wary about, you know, people mm-hmm. say, well, should we invite you or not? So often you go to a bris because you really do feel that you want to be there. You can't right. say they were helped by poor because right. it's very private. Correct. So they ask, how do you know them? And you make some sort of, <laughs> you know, laconic <laughs> sort of old neighbors. <laughs> and then the guy gets up at, his, at the, at the devoter and says, I want to thank poor. And Rabbi Weissman is so wonderful. <laughs> so everybody's different. You know, some people are very private. Some people are very public. Uh, that's true. But uh, we have to appreciate appreciate that people people uh, look at it differently people experience it differently we got to be there for them whatever however they're experiencing it all right the pua institute everybody we know about them for a long long time i would suspect it was one of those parsha schmoth that uh, somebody from pua was on to discuss the uh, amazing organization we know that pua was one of the maid servants in egypt that specifically made sure that unlike what pharaoh wanted where he wanted all the male children killed uh, both uh, Shifra and Pua made sure they would uh, survive, that they would sure. live. And uh, such a great name. We're talking it's tonight about, you know, we're speaking about the rally. You know, the rally's right. about, it's against Paro. It's against the destruction. Right. But if we didn't have Jewish children, there wouldn't be a Jewish people. So we need to have both. So, so we're go s- to the rally and then come to the bombing. So tonight we're, <laughs> we're, uh, we're, um, f- we're fighting the present and we are hopeful for the future. <laughs> That's great. To say the least. All right, the Pua Institute is online at puaonline.org. Tonight's event at the Honig family in Lawrence. It's a benefit barbecue. There'll be a seum. There'll be a barbecue. There'll be a parv option. There'll be a whiskey tasting. You can do whatever you want there tonight. Just come and support and be part of a very, very important event. Uh, and the best way, again, to donate and to and for information, etc., etc., puaonline.org. That's P-U-A-H Online. Dot org. And I want to thank our friend Shimon Weinberg for uh, arranging for Rabbi Weitzman to be here this morning. Rabbi, great to see you. Love great your, to be Love here. your sense of humor. <laughs> love the work you're doing, and you're helping so many thousands of people, both, as you said, in Israel and in the diaspora. Sure. So continue your amazing work on behalf of the Jewish people. Thank you very much, Nachman. And, and to you, continue your great work for that. the Jewish people. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And enjoy tonight's barbecue. <laughs> well. Uh, nine minutes after eight o'clock. Plenty more coming up here at JM the Amory. Barrel Wine is in the midst of a lecture entitled The Land of Israel, part of the Jewish Values series, as we continue our nine days format at JM in the AM. So you only gain that also through sacrifice. You only gain that also through willing to undergo sacrifice and pain. So because of that, we have this great concept that Eretz Israel has to be earned. Now you have another concept that God promised it to us. He told us from the beginning, He told Abraham Avinu, I'm giving you this land, it's going to be yours. He told it to Yitzchak, He told it to Yaakov, He's told it to us from the beginning of time. This is your land, I'm giving it to you. The only thing is that when it comes uh, to the bottom line, uh, it's not our land. Avram Avinu wants uh, to bury his wife, Sora, So he has to buy the Morris HaMachpela from the Bnei Ches, from Ephron, for, for an enormous amount of money. The Rashi there quotes the Medrash that says, Avram, the, the greatness of Avram was that he didn't say to God, but you promised me, you said it's my land. What do you mean i got to pay him 400 shekel over La Socher, the best mint coins? You promised it to me. And Yitzchak digs wells all over the country, and all the wells the Philistines uh, take over. They stop them up. They throw them out. 
And the Yitzhak does not say, but you promised me that the land is mine. And Yaakov Avinu, when he comes back from Lovan, so he has to buy the land by Shechem. And he doesn't say again, you know, God, you promised me. You told me it would be mine. So that's part of the definition of Yisurin. Yisurin is when you have to buy and sacrifice for what is yours. What belongs to you already. You have to start all over again. Which is in essence what happened to the Jewish people over the last hundred years. Whether it be through... uh, the Karen Kayemet, or through private funds, or whatever, or purchase, you, you have to buy it all over again. Because of the fact that that's Eretz Yisrael, Niknis be Yisurit. So we have to be prepared for that. We have to realize that on one hand it's ours, it was promised to us by God, and God's promises are valid. God's contract has never defaulted. And on the other hand, uh, we have to earn it. We have to buy it. We have to fight for it. We have to bleed for it. It's not ours. And that balance, uh, that contradiction almost, uh, lies at the heart of the Yisurian of Eretz Yisrael. Now, the Talmud has... Very, the Talmud is very, very pro Eretz Israel. Let's put it that way. And the Talmud uh, has almost a hidden anger, and this is the Babylonian Talmud, let alone the Yerushalmi, the uh, Talmud that was written in Eretz Israel. The Talmud has almost a hidden anger at people that don't come to Eretz Israel when they have an opportunity to do so. When the Jewish world had an opportunity to do so. The Gemara says, for instance, by Ezra, that at the time of Ezra, most of the Jews stayed in Bavel. They didn't come back. And the Talmud says, Ilu olu kachoma, if they would have come up in waves, they would have, if they would have come home, then the second temple would have had all of the spiritual glory and miracles that the first temple had. But because the Jews didn't want it, so God says, okay, so you don't want it, I, I don't want it either. They didn't come back. And throughout the history of the Second Temple, there were tremendous uh, Jewish communities all over the Mediterranean basin, in Rome, in Greece, in Bovell, in, uh, uh, in Egypt, in Alexandria. And the rabbis always held that against them. And therefore the rabbi said, for instance, Hashem, the Lord has made me dwell in darkness, Zu Talmudo Shalbovel. That's the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud, which the Gemara speaks about itself, is darkness because it was composed in Bovel. And uh, Bovel uh, had a very, very high spiritual state. Great Talmud Chachomim, great yeshivas, a great Jewish community. So let me just quote to you a few Gemaras. Because the Gemara says that the land itself has a holiness to it. The land itself has a holiness to it. It's called Eretz HaKodesh, the holy land. So you don't hear it so much amongst Jews, but in the non-Jewish world they still call it the holy land. 
Eretz HaKodesh, the land itself has holiness, independent of who is there, and independent of how people behave there. The land itself is holy. So the Gemara says, an interesting Gemara, Rabbi Brokio, Rabbi Lezer ben Pedos, Hoyumataylin Derech Shar Tveria. Two of the Talmidim of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan had the great yeshiva in Tveria in the third century. So two of his Talmidim, Rabbi Brokio and Rabbi Lezer ben Pedos, uh, they were uh, taking a walk by the Yam Kinneret, by uh, the gate to Tveria. Now, in the ancient world, in the time of the Talmud, Tveria, as today, was a great burial ground. Had large Jewish cemeteries. The uh, great hill uh, on which the tomb of Rebmeir Balanes perches on top, that whole hill is a cemetery. It has thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of graves in it. Because... The cemeteries at the time of the Talmud were caves that were dug into the side of the mountain and that uh, because of the shortage of land uh, they uh, let the body decompose for a year and then they collected the bones and put them in an ossuary in a ceramic jar and that jar they put in in the cave and then they had room to bury again. It was a uh, different system than we are accustomed to. In any event, they are at the gates of Tveria. And they see they're bringing bodies from Chutzlaretz, right, to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. So here we have two different opinions. And the two opinions are very sharply stated. And you can hear them both today as well. They resonate in our world. Omar lo rabrokio mahoilu elu. Who needs them? What value are they coming now to get buried here? Bechayeyem heinichu osi. When they were alive, they didn't come. They weren't interested to live in Eretz Israel. Ubemisosom bola. And now they come. When he has corpses, and he kore aleim, I say that this posik refers to them. Vinachlosi samtem letoeva. That's bechayechem. My uh, country, my land, the land of Israel. You treated it abominably. That was while you were alive. You didn't come. Vatovo vatetamu esartzi, and now you have come and you have defiled my. Country, because a mace brings with it, tumor brings with it defilement, the misaschem. So he's not very happy. He didn't come, he said, who needs you now? Omar lo Rabbi Elezer, so Rabbi Elezer ben Pedos said to him, no, 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 you're wrong. Lohi. It's not correct. Kivan Shehem Nigborim Beretz Yisrael. Since they will be buried in the land of Israel, v'niten lahem gush ofor shel Eretz Yisrael, and they will have the dust, the dirt of Eretz Yisrael will cover their bodies. Mechaperes, it brings forgiveness to them. It says v'chiper admoso amo. 
Moshe Rabbeinu said, the land of Israel is a kapora for the people. And therefore, uh, if uh, they come even to be buried, so then the holiness of the land is such that that fact that they're buried here is alone sufficient to bring forgiveness for all their sins. Now, uh, we realize uh, that throughout the ages, the Jews desired to be buried in Eretz Israel. And they came, their bodies were brought from far distant countries in order to be able to be buried in Eretz Israel. And one of the few uh, uh, permissible uh, times when a body can be exhumed and reburied is when the body is taken from outside Eretz Israel to be reburied in the land of Israel. That's because the land itself is holy. And therefore, the holy soil of the land brings a kapora for the person, even if the person did not come during his or her lifetime. And uh, because of that, there was a custom, there still is the custom throughout the Jewish world, that even a Jew that passes away in the exile and is buried outside of Eretz Israel, but uh, in the grave, uh, earth from Eretz Israel is always placed there. Because the earth of Eretz Israel is Vechiper Admoso Amo, and that's what he said, Gush Ofom Eretz Israel, a piece of the dust of the dirt of Eretz Israel is sufficient to bring a kapor for a person. So we see that one of the values of Eretz Israel is that it is holy. And the rule in Jewish law is kol hamechubor letahara tohor. If you are attached to purity, to holiness, then you become somewhat holy. It's, a, uh, it's an osmosis effect. It seeps into you, whether you want it or not. And therefore, Eretz Yisrael has that value that for the Jewish people it brings holiness to us. And it's one of the mitzvahs, there are two mitzvahs, the, the Balimusser said, there are two mitzvahs that a Jew can, the, the word in Lithuania was that he can walk in with his boots. The one is in the sukkah, right? You go into the sukkah, so you have the mitzvah. And one is Eretz Yisrael. You come there, it's this oil, you walk in, you're here. That's the mitzvah. So that's the only, those are the only mitzvahs that, so to speak, you know, you can do with your boots on. You just walk in. You don't, doesn't require uh, any great thought on your part as much as it requires just your presence in a certain place. Second idea regarding Eretz Israel, Esalech lifnei Hashem be'artzos hachayim. I want to walk in front of God in the land of the living. So the Gemara says, Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is the land of the living. And the Gemara says that Tchias HaMesim begins in Eretz Yisrael. And we have that concept that's called Gilgul Mechilos. That uh, when the dead are resurrected, so there will be tunnels that will exist uh, that will uh, be able that the Jews who are buried outside Eretz Israel will be able to roll to Eretz Israel because in Eretz Israel is where Tchias Amesim will be. By tradition, 
Tchiyas Hamesim will begin on the Mount of Olives, on Harazesim. And that's why Harazesim became the original famous Jewish cemetery in the world. And that's why the Hebra Kaddisha charges more money there than in other places. And you know that Jews like to be first in line, right? So it's going to happen, so you might as well might as well be there. But that's the same concept, that there's a holiness to the land itself. And the holiness is that it's Eretz HaChayim, it's you're alive. Even if the person is physically not alive. But being in Eretz Yisrael, because of Echiper Admoso Amo, then he is considered to be alive. And the Gemara says, Tzadikim B'misosom Nikroim Chayim. Righteous people, even if they have passed from the world, are still called living people. And Rishoyim B'chayim, evil people, even if they're still walking around on the earth, Nikroim Mesim, they're dead already. The definition of life and death is not necessarily whether a person is breathing. It has to do with our soul. It has to do with our eternity. It has to do with our memory. It has to do with what people think of us. What generations think of us. And therefore, the, gener- the definition of Chaim and Mesim is different. So the Gemara therefore says, Yeshiva Eretz Yisrael mitzvah bifnei Living in Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah all by itself. So just being here is a mitzvah. You accomplish a mitzvah daily by being here. Not only that, the Gemara says that if you walk four Amos in Eretz Yisrael, every four Amos you walk, you have a mitzvah. I, had a, I knew a great Jew, Elio Kitov, Monkatovsky. He had Elio Kitov wrote the Sefer Parshias and the Sefer HaTodah, uh, he was one of, he was a remarkable person. I remember he came to Chicago. I was 15 years old. Uh, he came to Chicago and he spoke. He was a gifted orator, just a tremendous orator. The old-time Polish orators that could speak for two hours and it was like uh, five minutes. And he was a he was a tremendously charismatic, wonderful person. And then I got to know him again in Miami, and then uh, here in Eretz Yisrael before he passed away, I saw him a few times. So he told me a story once that a Jew, a rabbi, came from the United States and he was visiting him and he started complaining about how things are here, which is not hard to do, (laughs) especially if you come from the outside, so then, you know. So if you read the newspaper here, you know, you're depressed every day. Except for an occasional column, but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, it's very depressing, right? So he was telling he was telling Monkatowski everything that's wrong. So Monkatowski took him by the hand, Elio Kitov. He took him by the hand, and he took him outside the door of his apartment, and he said, "Come, we're going to take a walk. One, two, three, four, a mitzvah. One, two, three, four, a mitzvah." He made him walk four amas. Every time he says a mitzvah, he said, oh, that, that's how you have to look at Eretz Yisrael. Don't tell me what the... So it's a confusion, and I think that's an important point. You, you should not confuse 
the government, the policies, the, uh, the national structure of the state of Israel with Eretz Yisrael. It's two different things. And because we confuse the two, so unfortunately there are Jews that don't appreciate Eretz Yisrael because they don't like the government or they don't like the way Jews' behavior or they see always the shadows instead of the light. But you're not allowed to see Eretz Yisrael that way. It was the whole lesson with the Miraglim that Moshe sent the spies. Everything they said was true. But then they added one thing. They said, but the land is no good. That, that sealed their doom. That you could say there are giants in the land. You can say it will be hard to conquer it. You can say there are great fortresses. You can say the United Nations is against us. You can say everything. That's all true. But you can't say anything about Eretz Israel. Motsi dibosom roa. They said bad things about the land. Eretz ocheles yoshveli, they said. It's a land that destroys its people. Oh no, God said, no, no, no. There you cross the red line. Can't talk about Eretz Yisrael. You have to always talk bishvocho shel Eretz Yisrael. You always have to talk about what, the greatness of it. And the other things you can say. There's, there's no problem in saying that there are giants in the land, that it, it's going to be hard and it's going to be this, and the, and the Kanani are here and the Prezi are here, and all of that was true. They, they were not punished for saying that. That was their job to come back and give the report. But their conclusion of saying, Eretz Ocheles Yoshveli, that it's a country that destroys people, oh, no, 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 no. J.M. in the A.M. It's right. Barrel Wine in the midst of an amazing lecture on the land of Israel from the Jewish Values Series. It's our nine days format at J.M. in the A.M. 8.30 in the morning on this Wednesday, July the 22nd, the 6th of Menachem Av, as we continue to, hopefully, I hope this is true, that everybody within the sound of my voice continues to put pressure on our public officials, two United States senators from each state, members of the House of Representatives and others, in regard to the deal with Iran, we gathered tonight at 5.30 p.m. for the Stop Iran Now rally. Tonight, 5.30 p.m., 42nd Street, 7th Avenue, New York City, for the Stop Iran Now rally. I hope everybody out there has an opportunity to be there this evening and to participate in the rally. Very, very important. A reminder about some of our Tisha B'Av programming. Oh, I just had the... I spoke with Matis a few minutes ago and forgot to ask him about the JM Sunday for Tisha B'Av morning, but I'll get an update from him in terms of what he's presenting between 7 and 9 this coming Tisha B'Av morning. I do want to remind you the OU will be doing a, a Kinnis observance with Ray Weil and Rabbi Weinrib um, on Tisha B'Av morning. Go to OU.org. That's OU.org for information. I remind you that uh, we'll be davening Mincha 2 p.m. at the Isaiah Wall across from the United Nations on uh, 1st Avenue between 42nd and 43rd Streets beginning at 2 p.m. in New York City on Sunday. Please bring your talis and tefillin and uh, uh, we'll uh, participate together in the Mincha service. I remind you that a tradition that has taken off like crazy over the last couple of years, Project Inspire, the Nachum Siegel Network, Charlie Harari, all together presenting Charlie Harari in an amazing two-hour presentation to close out the day of Tisha B'Av, Charlie will be on starting at 7 p.m. 
You could log on to any of our sites, including jmtheam.org. You can call our listen line at 605-562-4400, 605-562-4400. Uh, you could listen on the NSN app. He will be on starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time for the last two hours of Tisha B'Av. It is an amazing, it's amazing uh, to us that the, the concept was amazing. Project Inspire created it. And the fact that so many people, Way beyond the hundreds. We're talking about thousands of people tune in to hear Charlie at the end of Tishabov is just unbelievable. So take advantage. 7 p.m. this coming Sunday night should be uh, amazing. Uh, the Aussie Gourmet herself, the incredible Naomi Nachman, is with us live via telephone. Naomi is one of the people that's leading an incredible effort to support the Lone Soldier Center named in memory of Michael Levin. Uh, with a bake sale, a pre-Tishabov bake sale. Could you imagine? This is happening starting tomorrow on Central Avenue in Cedarhurst. Naomi Nachman, the great chef, welcome back to JM in the AM. Hi, Nachum. How are you? Baruch Hashem, how are you? Yeah, good. Really, really busy. It's been a really busy summer. What's been dominating your nine days recipes, I ask? Oh, lots <laughs> of dairy, lots of fish. I've got some great recipes up on the web, on my website, theaussiegourmet.com, but I've been in cooking school at uh, Kosher Culinary CKCA, and we've been making pasta and fish this week, and I'm looking forward to going in. After I get off with you, I'm going to run to Manhattan and take my some more classes and make some more fabulous dairy dishes. Do they ever shock you at places like that? Like you're standing there and you cannot believe what they just proposed that you guys actually make? <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, there's stuff that you never would have dreamt of that they come up with, huh? It's it's really good. You know, I've always wanted to, like, make my own ravioli. So right. yesterday we made goat cheese ravioli. Like, how perfect <laughs> is that? And especially they, you know, made it, timed everything out. So we did all the meat the last few weeks. And then they saved, they have a dairy kitchen in Ramaz where we've been taking the classes in the summertime um, rather than in Brooklyn because there's no, there's only a meat kitchen in Brooklyn. Right. So I've been, you know, Ramaz has a great milk kitchen and we've been making real dairy. We were like drowning in butter on Monday. It was fantastic. <laughs> drowning in butter. Drowning all, all, in clarified all, butter. <laughs> all the nutritionists are so proud of you. Oh, they are. No nutritionist <laughs> wants to talk to me. I'm all about the butter. <laughs> Listen, I can really stump you on this one because I've had this discussion now with the multiple people. Okay. And I, I just it just hit me. I should ask you for your expert opinion. Uh-oh. Uh, keeping in mind that a lot of people... I'll give you an example about yeah. this about this coming Shabbos. And you know how unique it is. The fast begins, you know, I guess, on, essentially okay. on Shabbos, right? So... Um, I, I don't want to change my schedule. In other words, some people are saying, you know, eat your meat lunch really. I don't want to do that. I want to eat my meat lunch at 1 o'clock like I normally do. So I don't want to change my schedule. But that would mean that the that the Shalashudas meal, which is essentially the last meal before the fast, is going to have to be at least par for me. Right? Maybe some of the people are daring enough to have meat, but for me it would be par. Now, you, can, you can't put any soup on the block, right? That wouldn't work. Right. And, and you the, could put it in a crock pot, though, Nachman. Oh. You could put soup in a crock pot. And I thought I'd stump you. No, not a, sorry. Not today. Not Maybe. A, Keep going. So you could, you could literally just put that in on Friday and and just serve it at some point, shallow shit is time. Yeah, you could. Hmm. I've never done it, but you could do it. The other thing was a lot of people like to eat pasta before the fast. Have you ever noticed that? A lot yeah, of people, have, load. but this time, you know, it's not a fresh pot of pasta. It's warmed up pasta on the black. You know what I mean? 
So I don't know. Is that, is that something you'd consider serving? What are you planning on serving? Okay, so I'm actually serving some... We're going to have milk before right. the fast for Charles Shitters. Right. Um, we're going to... I'm going to make some quiche, which I can put up on my blair. Mm. And also a noodle cheese kugel. That's the perfect answer. Interesting. Got the protein from the cheese, which also helps fill you up. See, now, now you're one of those people who's encouraging me to move my lunch schedule yeah. much earlier. I'm thinking that you should a little. <laughs> There's an amazing recipe. It's not my recipe. It's my friend Esty Kafra from mm. Toronto. Right. She's got a book called Spice It Right. She has an incredible noodle cheese kugel recipe. I suggest everybody go and buy the recipe. I'm sure if you looked it up, she has a blog. Um, the name of the blog is uh, going out of my head right now, but um, you can look it up, SD Kaffer Noodle Cheese Kugel. It's amazing, and it makes a huge amount. Wow. So it's already like, it's called, I think it's called Noodle Kugel for a Crowd. So it really makes like a triple recipe. So I that's th- what we're going to be doing, quiche and noodle cheese kugel. I may just go with a good par of sandwich, Naomi. You could do that. <laughs> Load it up with like tuna, fresh tuna, mm. grill some tuna before Shabbos or some salmon. Fill it with um, a lot of protein as well. Isn't it amazing that these are the problems that the Jewish people have these days, thank God? I know, thank I know. We take our food really seriously these days, which is good for business for me, but you yeah, know. 100%. <laughs> All right, Naomi Nachman's with us. We'll talk about the event in a second. The rumor is a rumor. You said this to me, and I was so happy for you. Uh, in addition to all the work you're doing with uh, the Kosher Culinary uh, Center, etc., so now, because your reputation has become increasingly favorable and, and just people love what you're doing, the, the birthright people literally want to send you on a culinary mission to Israel? Well, it's not actually a culinary mission um, this time. Um, it's just a regular birthright group that my husband and I, that my husband Svi has tons of NCSY background from right. back in the day. Um, and they uh, asked me if I would be interested in leading a birthright tour of uh, young adults. Uh, I think they're all around between 18 and 30. I believe that's the, the uh, age uh, group of the birthright participants. You won't be doing any culinary stuff? Everything I do has got culinary. That's what I, I, I had a meeting with my with the you know participants last night, and I said, you know, I introduced myself, and I told them I'm a chef, and I have a radio show, I'm a food writer, I'm a caterer. I said, everything we do will have a food tie-in. Right. Um, and, of course, you can follow me on my Instagram page where I'll be taking photos of everything I eat in Israel. Cool. <laughs> but it's, it's an incredible, Birthright is an incredible program, and I'll be going with the OU Israel Free Spirit Group. When does and it I'm, leave? Sorry? When does it go? What month? August 2nd. Oh, that's right around the corner. Yeah, I know. It's like 10 days away. It's yeah. so close. I have so much to do between now and then. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, so All you right. know, I've got the bake sale. I'm also going to try to do the walkathon. That's this Sunday to raise money for uh, 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 supplies that soldiers need in Israel. Um, AFPHwalkathon.com at Sunny Atlantic this um, Monday morning as well, right after Tisha B'Av. So, like, I try to get involved in a lot of things and try to support Israel and my local community that supports Israel. So, you know, it's it's definitely very busy, and, and I'm very excited about Birthright. It's, the OU has put together an incredible program. I'm really excited to be a part of it. Well, very nice. Enjoy that trip. All right, Naomi Nachman is with us. With all the things going on, and she always has a million things going on, this is what we're focusing on this morning. It's the big bake sale that supports the Lone Soldier Center. The bake yes. sale starts tomorrow from 10 till 8, and Friday 
from 10 until 2. Some people might think it's unusual an event like this, Erev Tisha B'Av, but you're telling people, hey, this is your chance to uh, to get some really good things to eat and some wonderful things to serve to your family. Absolutely. It's such a great cause. There are so many American kids and Australian kids and South African kids who have left their families to go and serve in the IDF. And it's just, if we can support them, and the idea came about last year when a bunch of us were sitting, it was during the war, and a bunch of us were sitting around during Shalashita saying, what can we do, what can we do? And a few of my friends' sons had enlisted right before the war, actually, and, and they were posting pictures, and I'm like, what can I, what can we do, what can we do? And we came up, idea with this bake sale, and we raised $15,000 in one and a half days wow. on one week's notice. So we, we hope we can top that. All right, so it starts tomorrow. Again, it's from 10 until 8. I assume you... Uh, got support from a lot of local people who just came out and decided to uh, help out by baking, I guess? Absolutely. And last year we even had a non-Jewish woman who saw our cause online (laughs) and baked a cake and bought it over and said, we want to support your cause. (laughs) And... You know, we could not sell the case. <laughs> right, obviously. But I ju- we were just so touched by the outreach of the entire Long Island community. Uh, the, large. the location is 416 Central Avenue in Cedarhurst. What's there? That's uh, that's it's, the home of? Uh, it's called it's called Plum, uh, Plum, P-L-U-M, consignment store. They they sell, like, high-end, uh, g- gently used um, clothes. So you can buy some fancy clothes that were once worn by someone else, and you can buy them now. Quite a popular thing, I believe. Um, and it's in the store. And, and actually, the store, everything that's sold in the store, all the proceeds go to Tzedakah as well. All right, very nice. So the bake sales tomorrow and Friday. Stop by. The Loan Center provides physical and emotional support for loan soldiers in Israel, especially now that many are coming back from active duty. Uh, we know how important these loan soldier centers are. Uh, this is a uh, uh, this is the one that's named in memory of Michael Levin. It's been a very effective program in Israel, as Naomi described. The bake sale. All you got to do is buy something delicious to eat for you and your family. That, that's all that's required, and uh, and the Lone Soldier Center will be supported. Happens at Plum, four sixteen Central Avenue in Cedarhurst tomorrow from ten until eight, and Friday from ten until two o'clock. Um, uh, pay, uh, uh, checks, contributions we made payable to FJC Lone Soldier Center, FJC Lone Soldier Center. And if you want, Naomi says, you don't even have to buy anything. You just drop by and give a nice donation. Right, Naomi? Absolutely. <laughs> All Thank <right>. you, Nachum. <laughs> a pleasure. Anything else we need to know or people just show up tomorrow? Just show up. You can buy or you can bake. Hmm, very good. You know, so you can, you know, you can buy and bake. That there would be go. the best. Good luck. Bake something and then buy something of someone else's. Good luck, Naomi, and call it Kavod. Thank you so much, Nachum. Have a great day. Wednesday morning broadcast. It's JM in the AM. It's a great cause. We love watching communities mobilize on these events. It's so wonderful. So wonderful. And I am praying that our community mobilizes for tonight's event. I pray. We've been talking about this for a long time. There are very, relatively speaking, there are not a a lot of rallies, not a lot of demonstrations that go on on a regular basis. Um, You know, times of war last summer, there were were some that took place, some of them really well attended, and you know how it is when people feel emotionally connected, when people feel the urgency, the need, they get out there to the streets and they demonstrate, they rally. I am hoping that people feel that urgency tonight. 5.30 p.m., 42nd Street, 7th Avenue, New York City. Please be there. 5.30 p.m., 42nd Street, 7th Avenue, New York City. Please be there. 
Let's all be there tonight, participate, make this rally, this demonstration a great success. Let's continue to put pressure on our public officials. Let's continue to demand that they come out and make public statements so we can judge for ourselves what we think of how our public officials are dealing with this deal with Iran. Take to the streets tonight. Stop Iran rally. 42nd Street, 7th Avenue, New York City. Are any summer camps coming in for the rally? I'm thinking of one summer camp, meaning overnight camp, you know, those that are far away, not day camps. I'm thinking of one that might be there tonight. There is one camp out there that seems to never miss an opportunity to be at a demonstration like this, at a rally like this. If I find out that they were there, I will certainly give them the proper accolades tomorrow. Uh, but whatever whatever group you lead, whether it's a um, a synagogue, an organization, a club, um, any type of group, if you have events tonight, like we discussed earlier with the PUA events, if you have events tonight, ask people to go for a half hour to the rally first. They'll be back in plenty of time for whatever time your event starts in your neighborhood. Come from 5.30 to 6, leave at 6.30, whatever the case is, if you can't stay for the entire time. Just come and show Support for the cause. Come and show that you care, that you want to be there to rally and demonstrate and be part of the effort to stop Iran now. It is so important that this rally get a nice showing, and we certainly hope that our listeners will take it to heart and um, and help the rally get a nice showing. So please be there this evening. Can't stay the entire time? Okay. It's like we say about uh, supporting causes like ours here. Now give, do what you can, give what you can, but participate. Do something. Do something. And here's our chance to do something. 71 degrees, sunshine and a high of 87. Clear tonight, low 67. You have good weather for the rally, thank God. Sunny tomorrow, high 86. We're at 91 degrees in Yerushalayim. A big hello to our friends at Camp Missora. They're at 51. Oh, who won Zimriya last night? I think there's Zimriya last It was last evening, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. wonder if there's any information yet on the website about it. Uh, they're at 51, heading up to 76 under mostly sunny skies. A big greeting to our friends up at Camp Missoura, uh, from all of us here at JM in the AM. All right. Uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine is in the midst of a lecture entitled The Land of Israel. It comes from the Jewish Values series, and it's a brilliant, brilliant series. It really is incredible. Um, information about Rabbi Beryl Wine's uh, lectures, it's rabbiwine.com, rabbiwein.com. Or you could dial 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN. And therefore, the, the definition of Chayim and Mesim is different. So the Gemara therefore says, Yeshivas Eretz Yisrael mitzvah bifnei atzma. Living in Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah all by itself. So just being here is a mitzvah. You accomplish a mitzvah daily by being here. Not only that, the Gemara says that if you walk four Amos in Eretz Yisrael, every four Amos you walk, you have a mitzvah. I, had a, I knew a great Jew, Elio Kitov, Monkotovsky. He had Elio Kitov wrote the Sefer Aparshias and the Sefer HaTodah. Uh, he, was one of, he was a remarkable person. I remember he came to Chicago, I was 15 years old, he came to Chicago and he spoke, he was a gifted orator, just a tremendous orator, the old time Polish orators, 
that could speak for two hours and it was like uh, five minutes. And he was a, he was a tremendously charismatic, wonderful person. And then I got to know him again in Miami and then uh, here in Eretz Yisrael before he passed away. I saw him a few times. So he told me a story once that a Jew, a rabbi, came from the United States and he was visiting him and he started complaining about how things are here, which is not hard to do, (laughs) especially if you come from the outside, so then, you know. So if you read the newspaper here, you know, you're depressed every day. Except for an occasional column, but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, it's very depressing, right? So he was telling him, he was telling Monkatowski everything that's wrong. So Monkatowski took him by the hand, Eliokitov. He took him by the hand, and he took him outside the door of his apartment, and he said, "Come, we're going to take a walk. One, two, three, four, a mitzvah. One, two, three, four, a mitzvah." He made him walk four amos. Every time he says a mitzvah, he said, oh, that, that's how you have to look at Eretz Yisrael. Don't tell me what the... So it's a confusion, and I think that's an important point. You, you should not confuse the government, the policies, the, uh, the national structure of the state of Israel with Eretz Yisrael. It's two different things. And because we confuse the two, so unfortunately there are Jews that don't appreciate Eretz Yisrael because they don't like the government. Or they don't like the way Jews behave here. Or they see always the shadows instead of the light. But you're not allowed to see Eretz Yisrael that way. It was the whole lesson with the Meraglim that Moshe sent the spies Everything they said was true. But then they added one thing. They said, but, but the land is no good. That, that sealed their doom. That you could say there are giants in the land. You can say it will be hard to conquer it. You can say there are great fortresses. You can say the United Nations is against us. You can say everything. That's all true. But you can't say anything about Eretz Israel. Motsi di Bosom Roa. They said bad things about the land. Eretz Ocheles Yoshveri, they said. It's a land that destroys its people. Oh no, God said, no, no, no. There you cross the red line. Can't talk about Eretz Yisrael. You have to always talk Bishvocho Shel Eretz Yisrael. You always have to talk about what, the greatness of it. And the other things you can say. There's, there's no problem in saying that there are giants in the land, that it's going to be hard and it's going to be this, and the, and the Kanani are here and the Prezi are here, and all of that was true. They, they were not punished for saying that. That was their job to come back and give the report. But their conclusion of saying, Eretz Ocheles Yoshveli, that it's a country that destroys people, oh, no, no, no. No, 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 not that. That God didn't allow. And so that's a basic rule. So again, you know, you can disagree with the government, and they give you plenty of reason to do so. And you can disagree with policies, and you disagree, but you cannot disagree with Eretz Israel. 
because that's an overriding value. It's such an overriding value that Chazal say, Gimel menoch olam You want to have a fast track to olam You know, like in the computer now, uh, if uh, four seconds is too long for you to wait till you get on the internet, so they have like a streaming broadband that's always on, and you're there in a second, right? You mean the shortcut? So what's the shortcut, Olam Abba? So the Gemara says, Zador Eretz Yisrael. If you live in Eretz Yisrael, that's a shortcut, Olam Abba. So the rabbi saw it as such an overriding value that uh, that it, it can take you to Olam Abba. Just being in Eretz Yisrael can take you in Olam Abba. And the Gemara said that you have to treat Eretz Yisrael with respect. The land, again. Gemara says, Ein megadlin Yisrael. They didn't want to grow sheep, goats, in Eretz Yisrael because they eat up all the grass, they destroy the country. So they had to have special reservations for them in places, mostly in the deserts. There's zoning laws that the Gemara is full of regarding Eretz Yisrael, and especially regarding Yerushalayim. You can't have smoke in the city, and you can't have manufacturing. Because the place is holy. You have to treat it holy. And if it's holy, you can't do everything you want. It has restrictions with it. The Gemara says, why does it rain in the world? <laughs> How the Gemara talks. Why does it rain in the world? So the Gemara says, because Eretz Yisrael needs rain. Since Eretz Yisrael needs rain, so it rains in Ireland too. But if Eretz Yisrael wouldn't need rain, and that's what it says, that, Lo Eretz Mitzrayim, you're going to bring it to a place that's not like the land of Egypt where it never has to rain because they have the Nile River and they can irrigate everything. I'm bringing it to a place that's dry. That's desert. And you have to hope that it rains. And therefore, since Eretz Yisrael needs rain, so the whole world is blessed with rain. And that's why when we say Geshem and Tal, the prayers, so the prayers are for Eretz Yisrael, even if we are living in different places, in different climes, and because of the fact that every place is blessed because of Eretz Yisrael. The Rosh was asked when he was the Roman Toledo in the uh, 1300s, the early 1300s, why in Spain, in Toledo, which has plenty of rain, uh, why should they say Talumota or Mashivaruach Muradageshim? Because it really doesn't affect them. And the Rosh answered, we don't say it for Toledo, we don't say it for Spain, we say it for Eretz Yisrael. If Eretz Yisrael will be blessed, then every place will be blessed. And if Eretz Yisrael is, God forbid, not blessed, so then the things aren't blessed in other places either. That is how Chazal saw Eretz Yisrael. They saw it as the focus of all blessings. The country itself. And one of the signs that the rabbi said 
of the impending redemption of the land of, of the Jewish people, rather, is when the land of Israel begins to produce. When you see uh, the fruit market full of every imaginable type of fruit and vegetable, something which was unheard of even uh, 30 years ago, 25 years ago in the country. And today we take it for granted. You know, and we're disappointed, you know, that uh, blueberries are out of season. But uh, Chazal saw in every piece of fruit and every vegetable that grew in the land of Israel, they saw holiness. Because that is the idea of mitzvah satulios boritz, of the mitzvahs that are dependent upon growing in Eretz Yisrael. Rabbis say, why did Moshe make such a fuss that he wants to go to Eretz Yisrael? And I prayed to God, the Lord says, 900 times, and until God said, you know, send the Nudnik away, stop. I don't want to hear anymore. Don't talk about it anymore. So the Chazal says, so what does Moshe want? What is Moshe missing? Moshe is going all the Mabah, Moshe has the Torah, Moshe is uh, intimate, so to speak, with God Himself. So what does he need? So the Gemara says he needs the mitzvahs of Pleosporets. He needs to eat an apple that doesn't have Orla, Kilayim, that has Miser, that has Truma. That's what he needs. So we take it for granted, right? By us, an apple is an apple is an apple. But Jews always saw in it more than the apple. They always saw in it, it's a holiness because it's sanctified. It's sanctified with so many mitzvahs. And Chazal even goes so far as to say that all the mitzvahs that are performed outside the land of Israel, film, kriyashma, tefillah, all of the mitzvahs that Jews do the world over are only to keep in training for doing mitzvahs in Eretz Yisrael. And that the real mitzvahs are only in Eretz Yisrael. So it gives us a different sense of being here. It certainly... Uh, uh, I always have that feeling, at least, on the rare times that I eat a fruit, that, uh, you know, look at me, right? Generally, I always have the feeling, you know, Moshe couldn't do it, and I'm doing it. Moshe wasn't here, and I'm here. Right? I take it for granted. But the rabbi saw in it this great holiness, this great uniqueness, this great special feeling. Because it's Eretz Asher Ene Hashem Rabbi Beryl Wine, in the subject of the Land of Israel from the Jewish Values series, we recommend that everybody head to the internet at some point and see the incredible array of lectures that Rabbi Wine offers uh, over all these years. Just amazing. Uh, 1-800-499-WEIN or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Tonight, the rally, 42nd Street, 7th Avenue, New York City. Make sure to be there at Times Square starting at 5.30 p.m. Please, let's all be there together. Stop Iran Rally 
Stop Iran Now rally tonight starting at 5.30 in uh, Times Square. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard a listener sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial broadcasting live. From the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Wraps up a um, another great edition of our nine days format here at JM and the AM. Tomorrow, plenty more, starting at uh, 6 a.m. Make sure to join us and stay with our nine days format all through the day on jmtheam.org. Our regular format returns Monday morning right after... Tish above right here at JM in the AM. Have a, a wonderful Wednesday. See you at the rally tonight. Times Square, New York City, beginning at 530. Till then, Alham Sigal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.